This is Puddle Request, live from the heart of Brooklyn. Puddle Request is an hour-long podcast where we talk about everything in and relating to technology. Starring three techno experts, Eric Newman, hi, Chris Grabowski, hello, and Tyler Dinner. Hey there. This week's episode, Newsday. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a yet, another, uh, yet another pull request as I jumble my words. My name is Eric Newman, and to my left is the wonderful, the beautiful, the talented Chris Grabowski. How are you? Just peachy. Just peachy. <laughs> and to his left is Tyler Dinner. How are you? I'm doing good, guys. Happy to be here. That's fantastic. Well, that's the show. We'll see you all next week. And, uh, no. Good night, Clayland. Yeah, exactly. Next week on Polar Quest. Um, <laughs> well, uh, we took a week off for Easter, and uh, because you two were Goyim, you celebrated Easter. How was it? Pretty good. Got to see the whole family. That's always nice. You uh, went to Arizona, mm-hmm. I hear? Mm-hmm. And how was that? Dry. Very dry. dry. <laughs> Did you get touched by airport security? No, they they always just uh, give me a compliment and send me on my way. <laughs> Are you sure nothing's in your pocket? Uh, no, you, like uh, when I was going to Baltimore, they told me I had b- big old strong arms, and then uh, this time f- around they they said I had nice hair. I believe that's sexual harassment. If you could, uh, you want to make some money and file a lawsuit, get away with that. It's not sexual harassment if you enjoy it. That's <laughs> giggity. Yeah, okay. Um, that's a subjective answer, but anyway. Also, does not uh, we want to start off on the right foot here. Oh. <laughs> uh, Tyler, how was your Easter? It's pretty good. I had a good Muggle Passover. Muggle Passover. Yeah, they were close this year. <laughs> yeah, they were. Uh, just, just chill, relax. Ate too much food. Did you, uh, did you see any Easter bunnies? Um, I ate an Easter bunny, and that was yesterday. And I should not have eaten that Easter bunny. How did you, was it roasted? It was peanut butter filled. Why, why would you roast a, a chocolate bunny? <laughs> oh, he didn't say it was chocolate. It, it, it goes without saying. It's a chocolate Nobody bunny. Eats actual bunnies. Uh, many people eat actual bunnies. Yeah, no. if you're from like it, Haven't you or played the Oregon Trail? There's a ton of bunnies that you shouldn't eat. Yeah, but they don't eat it for Easter. No, you they don't bother for... with the bunnies. That's small game. You go for the bears. No, but when you go hunting at the buffalo. But when you go hunting at the wrong time, then all you have are the bunnies. And sometimes you got to make do. You don't want to die of dysentery. Anyway. See, the way I would play is just go hunting every chance I got. Okay, but then you run out of bullets. No, and you just keep on buying more. But then some, not all the stores have bullets. You, have a, you, you bring a banker with you in your crowd, and you just don't run out of money. And everything goes back to Jews. Okay. Um, <laughs> Wait, also, you're on your way to the West Coast. He's writing TV scripts for you to pitch in L.A. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's crushing it. All right, how about we got a, a bunch of people in a wagon, and they're going to Los Angeles? <laughs> so Blizzard I'd hate saddles. to admit watching even the 30 minutes of it that I did watch, but you guys see Sandy Wexler? Who? Oh, it's Adam a, a Sandler's movie. new movie. I'm going to watch yeah. it. Reddit said it looked okay. It, it, uh, it, it was brutal. Why does I Sandy Wexler really sound like time. an anagram for his name? It does, but I think it's also the fact that uh, that's a name that's been mentioned in prior Sandler-isms. Sandy, Sandy Wexler? Really? Yeah. Oh. So if you have an astute uh, Sandler <laughs> knowledge, then you'll be able to have a lot of depressing trivia memorized now. Uh, that you'll be able to <laughs> have enough, enough insight for who is Sandy Wexler, some Jew. And I say that because I've seen the yeah, ads no, it, where he it, looks it, like it, it some... literally. It literally is that, but uh, part it's like that plus some. Um, uh, he's a, a, a talent agent in uh, Hollywood. Like I said, but like a like a C team Hollywood agent. Oh, okay. Who makes like this one girl uh, famous, and he knows all the famous guys. 
so that's pretty funny. And then um, Arsenio's in there. I was really impressed Arsenio with the Arsenio. Got a Arsenio? Yeah. Arsenio Hall? Yeah. What? Does he need money? Is that what that is? <laughs> yeah, his that is his syndication like royalties are finally again. drawing up? <laughs> probably. Coming to America. Yeah, yeah. yeah he still gets a couple checks from that. And I'm sure Israel is still running his uh, his show from 25 oh, years ago. Oh, and Rob Schneider, he doesn't make a physical appearance, but he does a voiceover as uh, Sandy's uh, uh, um, landlord who lives in Israel but had the world's first webcam installed in the house to watch er- uh, Sandy's every move. <laughs> okay. Rob Schneider plays a great foreign guy in Grandma's Boy, so that could be great. Rob Schneider he, also he plays a great foreign guy. Hold on, hold on. He actually plays yeah. a great foreign guy in Big Daddy. Oh, yeah, oh, the uh, sandwich guy. guy. It goes and, together um, like lamb and tuna fish. He ordered, ordered three pieces of cheesecake. <laughs> and you know, I gotta say, the other uh, Netflix Sandler movie that I actually watched all the way through, he was the star of this one, was uh, Crazy 8. Oh, the ridiculous, whatever. That was, isn't that a takeoff of a, of a Quentin movie nights. that came out around the same time? Yeah, yeah, it was supposed to be like, Similar, it was like the ridiculous six, and now his is the uh, crazy. Well, it's just really the name and the fact that it was a western, but the rest of it was uh, totally different. Like the whole idea was uh, same yeah, father, I'm, I'm all different mothers. Oh, sorry. And, um, uh, so Rob Schneider plays a Mexican guy there, and uh, he is by far the star of that one. Is that good? I don't know if that's a good thing. Well, no, that's the bar. So you know, <laughs> uh, we need to call James Cameron. The bar has gone too far down. <laughs> he put it there with Avatar. No, Avatar was like the 21st century no. wizard. Actually, I watched Lower Avatar recently, and I was just like, wow, this really is beautiful. I don't think I appreciated that the first three times I watched it. You thought that? Uh, I uh, thought they ripped off the Native American Indian story and just... Oh, yeah, it, it's totally Dances with Wolves, but uh, it's just a matter of, like... The, so the storyline's like... In eh, I mean, I, one, I love giant robots, so that was awesome, but two, uh, two just watching it again. Like that scene where he's trying to uh, tame the, uh, the flying dragon thing, I was just watching that, and I was just like, wow, this is actually beautiful. Well, this has been movie trivia for the week. Thank you for joining us. It stinks. It stinks. That's that that we've lost all viewers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> After our Adam Sandler discourse. Yes, and uh, we don't. I don't. Uh, Adam Sandler had good movies in the nineties. I don't know. I like Big Daddy, especially because it has uh, McDonald's and John Stewart in it. <laughs> yeah, and the Water Boy is classic. Yeah, Water Boy is classic. Water Boy yeah, was my favorite. True. Yeah, no, no, you're right. That's a... Mama's not wrong. You're wrong, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> and I should like that because I'm from Florida, but I actually don't like it because I'm from Florida. So, um, anyway. All right, we have a new segment for the show, GitHub Issues of the Week. This first GitHub issue comes to us from Kubernetes. It's called Colonel Panic When Building Etcd Docker Image. Take it away, Christian. So... I, I add this to the list mostly because the fact that this has nothing really to do with Kubernetes. Well, first, and do you want some backing music to the... Uh... No, I, I have a hard time with the backing music. Oh, okay. That's fine. Yeah, All I'm right. not used to talking over it. Kubernetes. But, uh, so a big part of it is etcd is required to run Kubernetes uh, for and most And what versions. is etcd for those of us who don't know? etcd is a distributed key value store mostly to uh, distribute configuration throughout your cluster. Okay. And, and uh, so it's needed. Uh, Kubernetes is... Uh, Kind of in their alpha pipeline have a, has a way to run without it, but uh, for most cases you still need it. And uh, even looking at like the logs that the guy uh, posted, you see that this is totally unrelated. So this guy's just a total uh, goofball here. Well, I mean, it just looks like he found a bug, 
and he put a stack trace on it on GitHub. Yeah, but it's, totally wrong thing. And well, it's why is so, it a wrong thing? I don't, I don't really, I don't get the nuance here. Well, for one, it has nothing to do with Kubernetes. Yes, it is their build of etcd that he's building here, but it's still oh, etcd itself. And what you're actually looking at is the fact that he's running out of copy on write space uh, for uh, building the Docker image itself. Uh, he's using the AUFS uh, st uh, storage backend for Docker. And the thing is that uh, with every change, it's a new layer in the file system. And he just kind of, uh, uh -huh. like, he's probably building this on a small drive or something from the looks of it. And it's just, this is not anything to do with Kubernetes. So why don't you respond saying uh, this isn't Kubernetes? Because uh, I am not a maintainer, so I don't have that power. This isn't Kubernetes. Go talk to it in another forum. What forum is it? I don't know. It's not this one. <laughs> it's above my pay grade. Yeah. No, there's the uh, posting in any sort of forum. I think it's been this way since the start of the internet. But really, well, maybe the start of the internet. Well, people. I wouldn't call GitHub issues forums. Really, it's supposed to be uh, essentially uh, bug reports and feature requests. Okay, uh, but even still, you have the you have useful. the people that spring into action with the that's not the purpose of what this is for, and the, or the people that question your motives. Why do you have this problem? I don't know. I have this problem. Well, why do you have this problem? I don't know. Well, you shouldn't well, have this problem. Well, that's why it's a problem. Anyway, um, is that uh, all you want to say about this one? Yeah. In fact, uh, this reminds me of uh, the, the the bottom one. Um, uh, you'll you'll enjoy that one. Well, we'll go. We'll, let's go in order because we have four of them. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. The next one, entity tag e tag header does not change with header mutation. And you want to I read thought, the I, uh, the thing. Yeah, if you want to do like the first paragraph, I just thought this was sure. an interesting odd oddity. Okay. I was reading parts of the... I, see, I don't know why you don't like the the music, because it really adds... It really well, does... Would you like music? I just can't talk over it. it. really... I stumble across it. Oh, no, but the thing is, is it's supposed English to just... Is English is elements to the <laughs> I was reading parts of the IETF RFC 7826 and noticed that a strong validator is technically one that changes whenever the entity body and or entity headers change. I spun up a simple express app to see how this works. I used app.get etag comma strong to ensure express was setting the strong entity tag headers on the responses, parentheses that don't come from express.static, as apparently that's a whole different thing. I found out that this express's entity tag headers do not change when the actual headers change. A quick visual of this can be seen below as I added another header to a response, yet the entity tag stays identical. Okay, and then he has a screenshot. Hmm. So entity tags are supposed to be like UUIDs? Uh, actually, I was hoping to ask one of you guys, since you're a little bit more in the web world than I am these days. Uh, but all that stuff is scripted. That's the thing. It's like we're not... It's handled by the server. That's why it's an express issue. Well, it's express handling the header, but you still have to set it yourself. No, well... No, I thought the server sets the uh, the tags. I, I guess, like, uh... Well, Looking at this, maybe. Uh, is it supposed to be that you get a UUID per uh, resource? I think so, but that's which would explain, or it's a cacheable UU, it's like a hash for the resource, oh, which would explain yeah, if you change that the header. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, let's, see what, uh, let's see what the Book of Knowledge says. That was my hypothesis. Let's see if I'm right. The e-tag, or entity tag, is part of HTTP, the protocol for the World Wide Web. It is one of several mechanisms, blah, 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 which allows a client to make conditional requests. This allows the cat caches to be more efficient and saves bandwidth as a web server does not need to send a full response if the content has not changed. Entity tags could also be used for optimistic concurrency control as a way to help prevent simultaneous updates of a resource from overriding each other. So yeah, it's like a hash for a request. Yeah, interesting. 
An e-tag is an opaque identifier assigned by a web server to a spe- specific version of a resource found at a URL. If the resource representation at the URL, which is the R in the URL, ever changes, a new and different e-tag is assigned, which totally explains why this guy had a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, anything you want to say? What happened with this? He tried to pop some tags. He got busted. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, uh... man, I was supposed to get a studio audience in here for this show. I forgot. Oh. Uh... I'm sorry. Anyway. Um, so what happened? We'll let you play the fiddlers on the roof one again if you want. <laughs> no, what, mm-hmm. so what happened? Uh, so, uh, looking at the reply from a, uh, maintainer on the repo, uh, saying that this is just kind of a general issue, uh, let's start by looking at, uh, how Nginx or Apache hand- handles this instead. Uh, it is clearly, like, this is just an unexplored territory for Express. But Express is supposed to be generating these entity tags, right? Or, no, or is that, again, you, you, you would use Express... You'd use entity in... tags for static content, and right. Uh, but I'm saying, would you use say Express general... with Nginx or instead of Nginx? Well, you don't have to use Nginx. It's more of like a you use Nginx in front of uh, Express to scale it. Uh, you know, whether you want a uh, load balancer in front of it, or you want to put all of your uh, static content on Nginx and all of your dynamic content in uh, Express, or have Express function as just a uh, REST API, and then everything else uh, is coming from Nginx. Huh. Okay, but, but I guess the, the reason why I asked was because I'm trying to figure out if Express is actually supposed to be doing this entity tagging or not. Well, it should be because Express is a web framework. It should be able to have the uh, capabilities of doing this. But uh, I'd say it, it's an issue that hasn't uh, really uh, been encountered. And uh, uh, it is a rather old issue, but it is also an issue that is apparently very active and being worked on uh, in Express. Uh, but... Uh, it comes from uh, the fact that I think uh, anybody who does use e-tags tends to actually set them in uh, Nginx or Apache. And so it's just one of those things that all of a sudden some guy comes around and it's like, huh, this is weird. Interesting. Yeah. The last response, or the second to last response, is uh, just generally both servers and clients have had many various bugs around handling e-tags currently, uh, correctly. And typically, strictly handling them on the server can lead to browser issues. A recent issue is the whole blank page in Safari due to an incorrect implementation due to freshness validation in the client, for example. Wow. Oh, I just remembered I, I, I did hit e-tags once upon a time in my uh, previous job. Did you have this freshness validation problem in uh, Safari? Yeah. You might need an uh, anti-person. The problem, uh, so we're, uh, it's an interesting issue of iPads when you do the uh, save the website to your uh, homepage, uh, to your home you screen, the, rather. The, the desktop, right. Yeah. It uh, will just use the cache, unless it's like a ridiculously old cache. Oh. So use e-tags to actually uh, try to update it. But it's also the case that it, Safari is just like, I, I don't know what you're doing here. <laughs> yeah, so, well, that's yeah. why it's the Internet Explorer for Mac, which is not to be confused with the actual Microsoft Internet Explorer for Mac, which used to come with Mac OS, and it was phased out but, in 10.3. I was going to say, that's a thing? was a thing, and I actually really loved it for the worst reasons, which was why, I was loved the color crap. blue that it used, and I loved <laughs> the horrible interface. I like the, yeah, because, like, the way that the E rotated into the globe was better than how it was on Windows. Anyway. Uh, that makes a lot of sense for you. 
Yes, and I think at the time, when I say at the time, I mean like around the turn of the millennium, it might have been the best Mac web browser because they didn't start, they didn't have Safari until I think it was 10.3 anyway. Hmm. So before then, you were using either Netscape or IE, which is why 9-11, why, oh, 9-11 where does that come from? <laughs> oh. That's why 9-11 happened. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nick no, I was going to say, that's it. why the 90s ended at uh, basically around 9-11, because it was still like that kind of usage, and it didn't really transition into what we know is what we think of as the 2000s web until uh, like 2002 or 2003. Anyway. Web uh, 2.0, that. brah. Next issue. Uh, number three. Rake app. Oh, sorry. Rake app update makes a lot mm. of unnecessary changes. I don't want to start a pull request. On oh, this. He said it. He said it. He said it. He said it. He said, he said, it. It. He said the thing. Uh, on this, until the others have had the chance to comment, so as uh, so we can make sure we address this thoroughly in one PR. I wonder if they play the same uh, merge sound effect that we do. Mm. Um, here's time. a start to the list of things that we could do better, and then I list them. Uh, what is what is this? Uh, so this is uh, somebody who's like, wow, we do a lot of crap in Rails, <laughs> which is like, yeah, no kidding. What does but, Rake do? So Rake is for Rails? Yeah, Rake is it's a build a, tool uh, for Ruby, Ruby in general. Uh, Tyler, you can probably talk more about this. It just literally translates to Ruby's version of make for C. Oh, Rake for, oh, I get it. It's make Ruby plus make. Ruby equals Rake. Well, I wouldn't say make is for C. I'd say make is kind of just a general thing to run. It's got its own language uh, as well as bash in there, which is always the weirdest thing. My bad. But... I, I associated it with C. That was false of me. <laughs> you got to speak up, please, Tyler. We can't hear you. Sorry, I, I was stepping away from the mic. Yeah, that, that was not right of me to uh, associate that with C only. Uh, well, why don't you just use make for Rails then? Why, why is there a rake? Because uh, Rails developers. <laughs> why is Rails still around? Uh, because it's really easy. Because Tyler needs a job? Is that what? No. <laughs> Tyler oh. had a job before Rails Well, no, I mean, no, no, I mean, that's... Uh, that's what, true. No. Tyler did very poorly on .NET. <laughs> that's true. I, I apologize. Well, I, should, that, I, that, I, that I can be said about any .NET developer. <laughs> I retract I, I that statement. I apologize, I Tyler. But seriously, why does Rails still exist? Uh, because I thought it's it died easy. five years ago. It is definitely mm-hmm. going away in the uh, larger websites because of uh, things like, oh, we need to scale and doing just more version, more instances of the same thing does not scale as nicely as, hey, we're seeing a lot of uh, things hitting the ch- uh, chat uh, service, but we also we can run like a single authentication service. That's a lot more economic than saying, let's just uh, have uh, like five versions of the same thing running. Interesting. But and Ruby is getting faster. Ruby 3 is going to be out there, so it'll stay competitive. And to be honest, um, I don't think there's ever been a framework that has been so well-documented for so long in any single language as far as a web framework goes. I, I think that's true on some of the like more detailed things. I find it very frustrating on the very like uh, basic things where you're trying to kind of actually get under the hood of Rails. All of a sudden, you're like, yeah, nobody's there to help you, <laughs> but... Yeah, and sometimes yeah. it'll assume things that you wouldn't expect it to assume, which is really nice, but it, it's hard to look shit up like that. Yeah, yeah, you that's, will my bang big, your head that's my big issue with against the wall with Rails. But at the end of the day, when it's worth the time usually, and, and you can repeat yourself and adding new things is so fast and takes so few keystrokes. It does really save you a lot of time. Well, you know what programming language, or you can call it a framework that has great documentation, has been around for much longer than Rails, and is still being actively used? PHP! <laughs> Wait, why would you call it a framework? He just wanted to use a fiddle on the roof, too. Because people say that PHP isn't a real programming language. It well, is. 
it's, it's a programming language. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't even say that. It's a, it's a language, particularly like, uh, the way Facebook uses it. It's a language. But uh, in the past, I, I think I think Facebook is a big reason why PHP is still around. That oh, one absolutely. decision. That's, and it's also, you know, it is a very 2004 language. I feel like that was the hot, one of the, like, the, the peaks of PHP was right around then yeah. when uh, Facebook started. Um, yeah, just now you look at like what they've done to the language to be able to still be on PHP. You got to wonder, it's, like, it's how almost cru- like how oh, crucial sorry. is it to use PHP versus a rewrite? Well, here's the thing: it's almost, they're doing the same thing to JavaScript with React Fiber uh, because they don't, they've actually well, 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 well you know what? Let, let's, let's tease that. Let's, We're yeah. gonna leave that for later. Um, but I just wanted to talk about PHP again. Okay, um, <laughs> so. Let's see. Uh, the, the the response to this, by the way, is a very typical developer response, which says, I don't think there are really... Sorry, let me <coughs> get the right voice for this. I don't think there are really unnecessary changes. Maybe you just don't need them. And it seems that you just want more flexibilities than running the task. So I suggest a better subject might be add more options for rake app update. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, developers, and there he goes. We all have them. Um, all right, and then the... We had five? No, we had four. Uh, I thought five, five was a good number, but uh, if you guys okay, want to come early... Uh, stop me at any time. I, mean, I think we're actually doing pretty good on time right now. We're only 20 minutes in. Um, let's see. Linker D. That sounds something. Uh, <laughs> fa- <laughs> failed to recover from back pressure. <laughs> All right, let me let me try that again. Linker D failed to recover from back pressure. Take it away, Christian. All right, so Linker D is a uh, service that uh, got adopted into Cloud Native Compute Foundation as a way to link a bunch of backend services to a bunch of uh, edge routing services, like a load balancer type thing. And uh, the uh, issue here is uh, they give a lot of detail on uh, they they. Name drop a lot of acronyms here: ELB, EC2, and uh, let's see, we got console, uh, all sorts of fun DB, stuff. DB, L5D. Uh, well, what is what is database back pressure? Uh, so that that's the idea of your database can't handle these queries uh, in uh, real time. So at a certain point, it just queues them. And then, uh, and I see, and then eventually the queue gets long enough where it has a problem. Yeah. Mm. So. Is Linker D supposed? I guess because it's a D, it's supposed to just restart whenever it mm. dies. Uh, well, yeah, and it's, it's a daemon, not. But it's not the daemon's responsibility to restart itself. But uh, something's supposed to. What restarts a daemon when it dies? Uh, it depends on how you're running it. Uh, it could be your init system. Could be Kubernetes. Could be Docker. Could be Nodemon. But Nodemon is basically a daemon. No, Nodemon is. Uh, I, I think they had something in their documentation not to use it in production. If I remember. Uh, yeah. yeah, there is the thing. Actually, um, the, uh, the, the one I remember uh, when I was uh, first uh, running node systems that uh, kind of went away when uh, Docker became the cool kids thing was uh, PM2 part of that. Which uh, was you ever what? use that? No. Uh, it was just a, a process manager that would, would say, uh, like, it would let you do uh, SO reuse port uh, without a- uh, actually uh, going uh, down into the socket options in Node. Hmm. So that way it would do that for you. And it would do things like um, load balancing across your, uh, your, your processes if they were the same process. That's pretty cool. And it would uh, restart them when they failed was the basic use of it. So this Linker D issue, why did you add it? What's so special about it? Uh, because it's entirely just the downfall of Java. 
Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, more. Yeah. That's that's fun. It's uh, if you look at like uh, the uh, response from a contributor, it's that there was just a large amount of file descriptors open, and that's just mm. the JVM doing its thing. Sounds like it. Yep, and okay. uh, definitely an interesting issue. If, uh, we're to look into the details of it, but I also don't like touching Java, so there's that. What what's the uh... Can you give us a, a taste? Actually, I can't be, really read Scala, the details. Well, uh, technically it's Scala, but it's running the JVM. Uh, the big issue is to talk to Nginx to uh, Layer 5D, so um, the actual... Uh, Which is what? What's Layer 5? That's Layer 5 in the ISO layer. So your ISO no. layers go uh, physical, data link, transport, session... Um, application? application? I want to say it's... Like, I'm forgetting one. Um, uh, what, That's on, okay. I, I we these... have the internet. <laughs> uh, OSI model. Uh, I would say ISO, but those Physical high, yeah. data link, network, transport, session. Session is number five. Presentation is six, and application is seven. There it is. It is the seven-layer bean dip to a program. Mm. Yep. And so in layer five, it's actually seeing that there's just, uh, with, with what uh, this thing is doing, there is just 200,000 file descriptors open, and so it just doesn't really know what to do with itself. Ouch. Yeah. And is there, you, can you talk to all the level demons? Is there like a level four demon, a level three demon? Uh, I wouldn't know in detail with uh, Linker D, but uh, I would imagine you could at least, uh, the easy ones to write would be everything from uh, transport up. The difficult ones would to write would be uh, Ethernet, which you could do. It's uh, a little bit more difficult. And then, uh, at least in Java, if you're doing that in like C or any language that compiles to a binary, yeah, it's a, a good bit easier. And then physical layer, uh, that is, uh, you'd have to be in kernel space to uh, be able to do anything with that. And you don't really have any control over it so much as just insight and interaction with it. Gotcha. What is uh, LSOF? Oh, that that is a command, a really useful one to. Uh, it, I've seen it what a it lot. actually does. What it actually does is it shows you uh, your file descriptors that are open. So oh. it's actually it's L, the ls command for open files. Oh, ls open files. Yes. What's wc? Uh, that is something. Those are, two, those are two options. I forget what they are offhand. The one I constantly use is uh, dash i to show. Uh, it'll show the port, uh, the process that is listening on a specific port. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, uh, yeah, I'm constantly finding myself using that. Okay. And then the last GitHub issue of the week is light bulb gets in the way of breakpoint. Capital L, capital B. I thought you'd enjoy this one. I don't know what either of these are. Well, it's just, it's design stuff within uh, 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 Visual Expected Studio outcome code. breakpoint can easily be set. Actual outcome light bulb icon sitting in the margin blocks the breakpoint from being set. What is this on? Microsoft this is... VS Code. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I like, that's funny. Uh, and they have a nice screenshot here. Let's embiggen. Uh, the light bulb. <laughs> they really uh, did not think that through. They have. If any of you are familiar with the layout of the of a uh, debugger, you have in the margin next to the line number the ability to set a breakpoint. Well, Microsoft has put a light bulb that does, I guess, some idea. Is that is that like the Office well, light bulb? It looks like you're writing a program. Sorry. Sort of. It's uh, like um, a, lo a lot of IDEs have this little light bulb icon that means like, hey, here's a hint on what you can fix. But isn't that usually like, I know Sublime kind of does that, but it's in line. 
it like yeah, has it Sublime like does closer it in line. to the yeah. uh, I think Visual Studio has always done it this way, and uh, if memory serves, uh, last time I used a, uh, uh, my, I, I never actually used IntelliJ, but I used something from the IntelliJ family. Uh, they did do a light bulb, but they handled breakpoints as just an, a separate column within the margin. Okay, that's also smart. I mean, it doesn't matter if you, I don't care if you put it in the margin, it's not like that, it's just, you know... You're yeah. blocking another functionality. Uh, and it, it, this guy even says, Note, I'm pretty sure the light bulb used to float out in the editor when it, uh, out in the editor a- area when it was activated. And that was fine, but at some point it was moved into the margin area. Yeah, and in fact, actually, I've seen an issue with Google Chrome recently where if you right-click and hit inspect, you don't get the option to move the, the web tools, the developer tools. But if really? you do Apple Option I or whatever that is on Windows. Um, or Linux. I have no idea. But <laughs> Right. Well, you have a Mac keyboard, so it's the same. But like, uh, well, I've got, I've got bo- both right now. Uh, oh, personal okay. Mac. Whatever uh, the app, the equivalent is it like contr- app, com- Alt-Shift-Control-something? Whatever. Apple Option-I <laughs> brings up the thing, and, and then it lets you uh, go to the dark side that of your choosing. Hmm. Get it? I made a pun. All right. Uh, I'm sure everybody missed us for the last week. Uh, let's see. So this episode is called Newsday, and we wanted to do that because we love the famous newspaper that Ray Romano wrote for in that wonderful sitcom where he was a person on Long. He was an Italian on Long Island. Imagine that. I was going to say that's a real newspaper. It on is Long a real Island. newspaper. I know. And it totally, it totally makes uh, lies about the Long Island economy, which is basically stagnant at a nice approaching zero. Can I get some shares on the, uh, some kind of, like, pastrami, uh, pastrami, uh, <laughs> thinking of salami trading, some pepperoni trading, some kind of meat, preserved meat, I messed that up, sorry. Uh, anyway, Did so, the word cured meat. Cured, you know, thank you. Like cured your gabagool. Yeah. What is gabagool? It's, a uh, capicola if you're not Italian. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. I just remember that, um. The not the Sopranos, the Sopranos, the Mad TV parody of the Sopranos that was supposed oh. to be like the syndicated for cable television version, mm-hmm. and it was just Will Sasso as uh, James Gandolfini, just always like, <laughs> I want some gabagool, I want some fu-! and then it cuts to another side. Why don't you give me some fun? And every time he curses, that, that's not. That's not even a parody of Sopranos, though. That like th- there no, are it's... episodes where he's like, Why you bust my chops about the gabagool? Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, it was a really funny sketch. So, anyway, the, our, our episode today is called Newsday, not to hearken to the, the real New York newspaper or the fake version of the real New York newspaper that uh, fake Ray Romano wrote on, in fake Long Island. Um, yeah, Ray Romano doesn't actually exist. He's just a... No, uh, Ray Barone doesn't exist. Ray Romano is a stand-up comedian. Who was the last person, by the way, to get that Seinfeld money? Uh, they call really? it Seinfeld money, but he like he got in there just in time because because uh, Jerry Seinfeld pulled so many. Chaz, a quick tangent. I haven't done one of these in a while. Jerry Seinfeld, Seinfeld, another Jew from Long Island, from Massapequa, actually. Um, what is it? Uh, he uh, he he pulled a lot of checks out of the show with the writing writing and the producing and the acting and and the syndication and that was done at a time where there was so much money in television that he became he walked away with millions of dollars billions of dollars and he still still because Seinfeld oh, yeah. is still on the air everywhere it's still on the yeah. air twenty years later. Well, he's got to afford uh, uh, the house that used to be owned by Billy Joel somehow. 
Oh, man. Long Island to Long Island. Anyway, uh, so Ray Romano, more Long Island, uh, was the last person to come in with that kind of like stand-up comedian, start-to-sitcom, writing, producing, acting, syndication. It's widely syndicated. It's a big deal. So he's, But he's keeping quiet. He doesn't, well, no, he doesn't really care. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so uh, we're going to go through a lot of news articles today because we typically only have one news article per show, or one, rel- one hot news article per show. And uh, people who have listened to us from the beginning know that we've changed the format of our show to be less temporal, to be less news-based, to give us more time to talk about things in depth. But today, because a bunch of news has kind of clogged up, we've decided to wipe the slate clean and get it all out and talk about how, what we think about all of the, th- the stuff that's going on. So, the first one, as I retab, is... Uh, <clears throat> Inmates install incognito internet. Let's hear it from our news department. No matter how presents news to you. Marion, Ohio. Wednesday, April 12th. Marion Correctional Facility in Ohio has found a secret melange of technology hiding in their inmate cells. Hard drives loaded with pornography, a Windows proxy server, VPN, VOIP tools, and even the Tor browser were found. Marion Correctional's crack IT department found an odd-looking cable stemming from a networking switch and to find devices assembled with discarded computers from an Ohio aircraft part company and an Ohio school district. The Inspector General reports that inmates took two computers that were supposed to be disassembled, placed hard drives in a network card, and managed to transport the device 1,100 feet through security checkpoints without being searched or even asked if they were carrying anything. It seems like inmates may be technophiles just like the rest of us. And so many Americans are afraid of what happens next. We at least know the world still turns into truth. Marches on. And that's why this has been News to Use. Brought to you by Pneumonia. 1,100 feet through <laughs> multiple security checkpoints without being searched in a pretty high correctional uh, facility. High I don't want to know how they smuggled that in uh, physically. No, but, you know, none of the equipment was damaged when they took it out. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. Maybe whoever was uh, was the uh, uh, mule there uh, had a lot of experience or something. But... There has to be some kind of corruption going on because they, there was a switch that was in some some kind of secure place that they had access to, or somebody put it. Plugged that, yeah, in that's something. the interesting part. There clearly, it's like uh, one of those you bribe the guard. But aside from uh, the fact that cigarettes are basically currency there, what are you going to bribe the guy with? Cigarettes. <laughs> Yeah, basically. So, I mean, I haven't haven't you seen uh, Let's All Go to Prison? Yeah, that, that's uh, Will Arnett's uh, one of his best. Yeah. Will right Arnett, next to uh, Batman. Right next to Lego Batman, that's probably his best. I actually didn't see Lego Batman. I haven't either yet, but I hear it's just, like, phenomenal. It's the second best Batman movie ever, the first one being uh, The Dark Knight. Uh, The Heath Ledger Joker one. Yeah, the Lego Batman is up there. I, I don't know. Uh, this the, is what uh, I hear. The Tim Burton Batman with Danny DeVito. Oh, that really was enjoyable. Good. I enjoyed that one. That was that really one. good. And it had that like, I, I comic mean, booky feel all, to it, too. All, all of the Christopher Nolan ones are probably my favorite. Interesting. 
Well, at least he's doing a better job than his brother Jonathan Nolan, who wrote per- Person of Interest. Mr. Is. Oh. The computer has oh. found this yeah. person. But he's trying to redeem it with Westworld, which is a show that I still oh, haven't Oh, I've watched. been loving Westworld. That is a good one. Well, I'm about a year behind you in television, so a year from now, let's talk about it. Um, and I say that because this finally... Me, though. Silicon Valley's on tonight. Can't watch that show. Well, that just makes you... Yeah. Yeah. But it's fine because uh, Silicon Valley. It's fine because Silicon Valley, and it's fine because um, sorry, I just got a message. It says lost connection to server, attempting to reconnect. We can hear you, but uh, no, it, yeah, it keeps doing this. And I think Tyler is sending me messages. We haven't heard from Tyler in a while. Is he is he alive? I sent you messages. I'm okay. Why are you sending me messages during the show? You know that I can't read them. Well, I didn't know that, but I had some technical difficulties, but they're sorted out. Oh. Well, cool. Well, thanks. Welcome back. Thanks. Um, totally forgot what we were talking about, but that's fine. Silicon Valley. But Silicon Valley. Uh, oh, yeah, I can't watch. Awesome TV shows Eric doesn't watch. What I was going to say, by the way, is that, um, that because I'm a year behind you in television, I actually am, only now, I finally am getting into Rick and Morty. Ooh. I know. I was watching <laughs> it last night, and... Uh, yeah. No, it's, it's actually starting to grow on me. I told you. I told you this would happen once I sit down and really, like, I'm in the right environment. So, are you at least familiar with the Teenyverse? Like, how far no, are you? No, I'm, like, halfway through the first season. Have you seen the uh, TV one, then? With the, the corn cops? Uh, are you familiar with ball fondlers? No. Is that the, is that the episode? No. Well, first, there was the... I, I think I did watch the TV one, where, uh, where Rick goes... Uh, this gets television from all over the universe, and yeah. it's those yeah. corn cops. Yeah, you can get some of those real fake doors. Oh, yeah, I don't, <laughs> not, I don't memorize this show like you guys. It's great. It's um, so it is great. just so fantastic. Yes. Uh, let's see. All right, I think we're done with uh, with that. The first news story for today. Well, that was the uh, that was the first news story actually. The inmates first. Non-newsreel news story, unless we could do this for everything. Uh, Docker becomes Moby. Let's hear it from our news department. No, not, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> you had okay. me for a second. Oh, <laughs> I wanted it. No, that's going to be, that would get annoying. We have like eight articles to plow through. That's going to be. <laughs> Just keep on doing that. You can I do would... it. No, not that presents. Docker becomes Moby. Uh, no, I can only oh, know. Or you could have just kept in that voice the entire time, but like without the music. <laughs> I can't do it without the music. Oh, I know. I figured. I have to be, but I have to be shouting over the music. That's part of the the element of it to make because <laughs> they only had so much power back in the twenties where I got this music from. Anyway, um, <laughs> Docker becomes Moby. Uh, why? They wanted to uh, make electronic so, music. Crush it. <laughs> So uh, a big part of it was uh, there was a lot of complaints about uh, just in talking of Docker the company versus Docker the tool, and okay. that doesn't this doesn't really solve that because Docker the tool still exists and it will be that because uh, yeah there's definitely a lot more people out there who if they were to change the command line uh, 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 executable uh, to a different name that would break a lot of just regular everyday user scripts. If, if they did it but, right though, they would probably symlink back to the old one. Well, I mean, if you use an installation uh, script, but so, some OSs, you can't do that. Sometimes you have to build really? it from source. Some of them just c- uh, come on the OS image themselves, oh. and you don't have to install it, uh, a la Core OS. Gotcha. Uh, uh, Docker, does, the, so Docker is trying to... Anybody. 
So Sorry. Dockers is trying to become more than just a product because that product because that was actually uh, Steve Jobs said that to Dropbox years ago uh, that you guys are just a product, you're not a company, and mm-hmm. I think. And that's true. And what happened to Dropbox? They were purchased recently. Uh, were they? I, I think so. I don't that. think they. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, the point is, or they bought. Maybe they bought Inbox. Is that what it was? And then nobody uses Inbox anymore. Anyway, the point is <laughs> that um, that uh, Docker is trying to diversify, even though the amount of things that they currently offer well, isn't changing. So they're deconstructing their monolith. Docker. So is that, they've is been that doing the, that. Is that the good thing? To, is that the right way to put it? They're deconstructing their monolithic uh, well, software Well, that's not library? what this uh, rename is, but it's something that they've been doing for a little while now. Like uh, The first one was actually the old uh, daemon was pulled out as a library, not the, an actual standalone daemon, oh. and that was libcontainer. And they did that to actually replace it with containerd, which was, that and runc were probably the fir- first two things to really be pulled out. There's also libnetwork and... Uh, Infrakit. Uh, uh, yeah, Infrakit. Uh, Swarm has now become a thing that's in the actual actual executable is used to be a separate Ooh. thing, and now it's what does Swarm do? Also, Swarm is their uh, orchestration. I would argue toy, as opposed to some of the more substantial orchestrations out there. It is um, it's basically just uh, ha- uh you can now treat your uh, Docker daemon across multiple machines as if it was one machine uh, Docker daemon. Oh, hence the name Swarm. Uh, so they've changed the name from Docker to Moby, not to be confused with the artist that I don't think people remember anymore, who was also popular around the turn of the millennium. Uh, the misunderstanding of Moby, and I still don't understand it, can be attributed in part to the company's decision to redirect visitors to the Docker client GitHub repo, where the open source code Docker client used to reside. Oh, they redirected from the Docker GitHub to the Moby GitHub without mm-hmm. much in the way of an explanation for the change. So, and then, oh, I, wait for I, it, wait I, for it, wait for it, GitHub goes down. GitHub connectivity problems magnified the misapprehension that Docker had disappeared. Patrick Shanazan, a member of the technical staff at Docker, 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 said I do that all the time. <laughs> that the uh, it's a it, Docker's like a doctor for containers anyway. Uh, that said that the GitHub repo changeover created some technical issues that require the intervention intervention of GitHub tech support staff. The explanation Docker co-founder and CTO Solomon Hikes provided in his pull request compounded the problem with his brevity. "Quote: Docker is oh. transitioning all of its open source collaborations to the Moby project going forward." All right, what do you so, want to say, Christian? Uh. So uh, I guess I'll start off with the thing that just came to mind, which was I was watching that pull request in uh, real time, uh, part because I was depending on it, and so it came up uh, for something at work. So it came, uh, it came up that this whole thing, and you can really see that uh, it really became uh, um, uh, Solomon Hikes there uh, kind of just trying to defend this move. And uh, his argument is that it was uh, to be able to scale out uh, development and the, uh, the underlying things in uh, this... Uh, Basically, Moby would become the, the glue for the, the suite of tools. Not really the core. In fact, uh, if you look at the way it's uh, being structured, the core things are the things being pulled out. Pulled out, right. And, and then... this is just the glue that uh, binds them all together into uh, the Docker commands. And it looks like people that are using Docker CE or EE, which I guess is corporate or enterprise, nothing changes. No, it's a, a community edition or enterprise edition. Oh, okay. I was, I was right with one of them. Moby is yeah. only relevant for organizations and individuals who like slow techno music. Is it techno? Is it yeah. like jazz? It's it's like folk meets techno or something Very like that. Very airy kind of yeah. know, Apple commercials from 1998. Um, anyway, uh, Moby is only relevant for organizations and individuals developing specified specialized container software based on the code formerly known as Docker. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So yeah, that that really uh, right now there. Uh, so the whole reason with the redirect was uh, to make it go gettable because uh, the whole uh, Docker repo itself not only is function not only functions as the glue for uh, for all the Docker commands, but it also functions as uh, the uh, API client and. Uh, the reason to use the API client versus just doing HTTP directly to Docker's daemon is the fact that their uh, API changes a lot already. This, this has been a known issue for a while now, hmm. and they continue to do it. So a lot of people will actually just depend on their clients, which the only two officially supported ones are a Go one, which is their first-class citizen. Uh, they update that as up. It has to be updated with every change to the API. And then the Python one, which is a bit more of like, oh, crap, we broke Compose. Let's go uh, fix that. Let's see what happened. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, okay. Anything else for Docker? Uh, just that this move really sucks. <laughs> so what happens? I mean, you just have to like you know, uh, suck it up for well, a week or two. So it's kind of like you got to watch the repo and see because right now everything is set that uh, uh, you can still uh, your import paths and go are still GitHub doc slash Docker slash Docker, but soon this will be GitHub slash Moby slash Moby. And it's a matter of they have to change the code paths and their source code in order to be able to switch it over. And then at some uh, point, you're going to switch it over too. So it's just you're just going to have to keep on watching for that change. And until then, it's this whole mess. Which part of it is that this there's this fundamental... Uh, I wouldn't really say it's an issue in Go because of the argument they make of why they did it. It's a perfectly good one if you're at Google where everything's in a mono repo and it's always going to be there. But like I've been wanting to change my GitHub username for a while. But I have enough Go source code that it'd be just so much work to change all my import paths for my internal code. Why are you hard, go... hard coding that stuff? Why are you hard coding? You that? have to. You can't do a relative path and go. Well, it's, oh, I should say it's bad to do a relative path and go because then uh, when you go to download it and uh, somebody else goes to download it as a, a dependent library, or if you're using that as a way to build it. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, those relative paths are no longer the same relative paths. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Well, right on the heels of Docker, because uh, there were two conferences this week, this past week. There was DockerCon and F8, I think, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, so those are the two big ones this week. There were, I mean, there's always like some DevOps days going on. but yeah. yeah, there were people on my team that went to some conference in San Francisco, but who cares? Uh, <laughs> it's not DockerCon or F8, uh, so I don't know. It's whatever. Um, anyway... Uh, Facebook has been talking about this thing for about a year, and they're about to, it's about to uh, ripen, or it's ripening, it's about to fall off the tree, React Fiber. Which, by the way, before we get into that, I want to mention that, uh, you know, I talked about PHP and how, you know, you could kind of just keep chugging along with PHP after all this time. React, I wrote a bunch of React websites about a year ago, and um, Fiber makes them all hideously obsolete. They say it's backwards mm. compatible... Well, but it's it's not. How, it's are not. you backwards compatible with the most recent previous Latest version React? Of React? No, we're not because they keep pulling That's out why. much like with Docker. They, mean, they keep pulling when out they say stuff backwards React. compatible. They mean that they uh, to the previous version. They, they, you can well, you know, uh, have you to, don't really have to say that it's backwards compatible with older versions. I know. Unless you're Go. To... Go is like the one thing that's always like if you change the language, you're not getting your change uh, merged. You, uh, you can just, uh, uh, just go take your change somewhere else. Guy. Go take your change. Okay. Um, so yeah. So much like the O'Reilly book, rewriting your front end every six weeks. These sites that we used the bleeding edge technology a year ago, and now that they're you know they're done and they're nice and new, everyone's happy with them. Time to rewrite it again because of React Fiber, and also like like I said with Docker, uh, Facebook is 
is deconstructing React, and they're peeling things out of the monolith, and they've peeled out, like, prop types, and so I have about, I have maybe a thousand files that have React.prop well, types in there, and that, that's like a, a whole... A lot of that sounds like uh, you have to change uh, your imports there. You have to do a, no, 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 because it's, React, React.prop types is strong typing for JavaScript objects, so right. you it have to do a massive there, right? search and replace. Is it a, yeah, but, but that's It's about nothing... the work that you'd have to do to change your GitHub repo. Yeah, which it's a pain, but that's not like a uh, horrible thing that. Uh, no, but Facebook I mean, instead did. of just import React, now you have to import prop types. Now you have to import React DOM, sure. and there's all this other stuff. Sure, and that argument I'd say is better than the Docker argument because at least with this, the reason why they did that is to be able to scale development. This way, you don't have the same maintainers all in the same repo, kind of uh, stepping on each other's toes. This way, you have uh, people uh, maintaining and contributing to the core uh, stuff, which is probably just like class definitions that you inherit, and uh, then you have uh, React Render, uh, there's React Server, and that prop types. Uh, with all these, you can actually uh, just have a set of uh, devs working on them, and they're not really stepping on each other's toes like they would if they were still in the single repo, where uh, I think just part of having things in a single repo just uh, comes inherently there is you can change something in one bit and all of a sudden that breaks something totally unrelated that also depended on something uh, uh, underlying. Gotcha. I mean, I, I see that. You could kind of get around that with some sub-modules, but the point is, is that you have to learn all these patterns, you have to learn all this syntax, you have to learn all this stuff, and then by the time you master it all, it's time to rewrite it again. So what's the point? Mm-hmm. Let's save that and we'll revisit it uh, later on in the show. Uh, but back to React Fiber. The idea behind React Fiber, the company tells me, not me, the person that wrote this article, because I don't talk to Facebook, except I, t- well, literally I do, but anyway, uh, <laughs> it is to take what the company has learned from developing React the first time around and put that into an updated framework that is still fully backwards compatible, right, just like Windows, uh, with the existing React-based applications. React Fiber, Facebook tells me, will become the foundation of any future improvement with the, the, the same CTO, right, this? The same the future, this, the foundation for any future improvements and future development going forward. Their main focus here was to make React as responsive as possible. Uh, the highlights in this new release are built-in primitives for scheduling and incremental, uh, incremental rendering. Mm-hmm. Quote, we want to make sure we, wonder, we, went, we render the right stuff at the right time. Responsiveness was a huge push here. And they rewrote it. They rewrote React. I wonder how many revisions they had in the React rewriting. Uh, they rewrote it from scratch. Uh, we'll put that tongue twister out on our GitHub. Yeah, exactly. Uh, can you read the rewritten React rewrites? Eric's <laughs> 10 React <laughs> tongue twisters. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, ridiculous. I, I understand the, the React argument of why they did this much better than the Docker one. The Docker one was just a rename, and I, I, that doesn't really solve anything. The thing but is... This, this is just because it's like... One, the JavaScript community is massive, and you know, also JavaScript community is like, oh, stability. What is that? So <laughs> stability and longevity. Who cares? Yeah. So uh, uh, I think a big part of it is just the fact that you got so many people working on it. I mean, it's one of those uh, libraries that you have uh, rather junior devs who want to start getting involved in open source. They're like, oh, I really want to contribute to this. Let me make some change, even if it's just updating uh, a comment or something. They made and... me make a React site for my college class, and now I want to do it for real on Facebook. Or you took a two-week two uh, code camp, and all of a sudden you're ready to go. Yeah, so now they're going to have to update all those code schools. That's cool. That's how, and that's you know what? And if you have a, if you took one of those code schools and you have a job uh, you, and you, you can't handle this change, 
Well, no, what I'm going to say is if you took one of those code schools and you got a job and now you can't survive this React change, that's why code schools don't work because they're not teaching oh, yeah. you how to think. They're teaching well, you how to do. I think you saw that a lot with uh, the first uh, Rails uh, 3 to 4. You saw that a lot. And then again with Rails 4 to 5, you saw a lot of all of a sudden uh, the people who took the code camps back in uh, 2010 to uh, like uh, 2014 there. They just got kind of screwed over every time uh, Rails would update because all of a sudden it's like, yeah, now that's moved into the model instead of the controller. Or it's like, yeah, well, now that's an, an entirely separate module that uh, you just handle in the config. You don't have to actually code for that. And it's like, wait, what? Um, yeah. I, I have an insight on that. I actually spoke to a guy that went to a code camp that um, recently and came out pretty good. He had only been coding for about a year and a half professionally, maybe a year. That's cool. Um, and he went to one of those full base, like, I, I forget, like three-month code camps. Uh, but the fact was that he wasn't really a programmer before, but he had been making scripts. I think he was an accountant, and he had been making Visual Basic scripts to kind of automate his uh, math oh, procedures. So he's a script so, kitty? Um, I no, think no, got... no, no, nobody's a script kitty when it comes to Visual Basic. No, nobody's anything with Visual Excuse Basic. Excuse me. There were many script kitties in the mid-'90s that were very happily using Visual Basic. Oh. But I, demo... I don't think I, I don't think I've ever heard the word happy and Visual Basic in the same sentence. Microsoft yeah, was king in the mid to late nineties. Visual Basic and Visual, Visual C++ Basic king. great. I, I've I've heard people always go, I know, I know, Visual Basic. <laughs> yeah, but it's it would replace what Q Basic and regular Basic. Come on. Yeah, but you also had other things that were a lot better to write in. You had Visual C and Visual C. Well, sorry, Visual C for a while, which was a garbage collected version of C well, and that's what I said. I said VB and VC++. But both of them allowed you... What Visual Basic allowed you to do is really... It had a really easy access to the Windows API. So if you wanted to make like a really quick Windows app, uh, it, was, it was not hard to do. But that is very last decade, uh, or really 20th century programming methodology, because why make anything operating system specific now? Anyway. Uh, uh, on top of... reasons. Oh, well, let's see. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Uh... There are reasons, I guess, performance advantages and dependencies or whatever. Anyway, um, on top of React Fiber, Facebook also announced Relay, which people have... Uh, well, have... Relay's been a thing. What do you mean? Well, I'm sorry. Relay Modern. My bad. Oh. Um, Relay Modern retains the best parts of Relay, co-located data and view def- uh, definitions, declarative data fetching, while also simplifying the API, adding features, improving performance, and reducing the size of the framework. To do this, the team implemented a number of changes, but most importantly, adopted static queries and ahead-of-time optimizations. Oh, that's cool. Static queries essentially ensure that complex queries that aren't altered by runtime conditions can be pre-built and offloaded to Facebook servers. So instead of sending complex queries across the network, all an application has to do is send a string that identifies the preset query like an entity tag. Uh, Yeah, it's basically caching per uh, query, so I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it's caching. It's doing like a distributed uh, distributed cloud computing thing for your static stuff. But does that mean that all the relay apps are going to talk to Facebook? I think that was in the example there, but uh, I, I don't know. Uh, but uh, relay normally it, it's just a way to say I've got multiple backend services and I need to pull data from them and give a single response would be nice. Uh, so well, what's, uh, what is the difference between actual... relay and Redux? So Redux is actually more of a um, way to do data flow. Relay is a way to uh, say, hey, I've got uh, the authentication service where I get my user data from, and I've got a uh, shopping cart service where I get like my products from, and I need to get both of them in this uh, uh, graph query that uh, shows the relation between users and certain products. 
and then just uh, to the front end, make it seem like it's only one request, and, as opposed to let me hit this. Uh, again, again, I don't and see, see the difference again. between that the two of them. And then uh, no, I'm getting to that. Redux, on the other hand, is to say, hey, I got data. Uh, let me update this. Uh, they call it like a container, I believe, which makes it confusing because this is a front end container. But uh, okay, there's actions and reducers. Okay, so uh, th- well, aren't both those made up of a container or something like that? I'm trying to remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's... something where it's this is where the actual data goes, and then you have the reducers and your actions that tr- uh, uh, trigger it and respond to it, and then uh, oh, those kind it's of... a, a dispatch um, something. Okay. Man. And I use this. I don't even know what it's called. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. that. So it's uh, relay is kind of like how do you uh, bring everything from your back end into the front end, and Redux is how do you then have your data being pres- uh, data flow into the view, and then React is your view. So you're, they're not mutually exclusive. You uh, could I mean, use re- you Redux could and use, Relay. You could use, well, no, you could use any of these separate from each other. It's no, just... I meant together. Like you could use Relay and Redux. Yeah. Okay. In fact, I, I heard, I heard a lot of sites do that. Gotcha. Uh, generally, if you're using Redux, though, uh, it's also super simple to be just doing Ajax calls. But if you have all of a sudden like this, uh, like, like like you are Facebook and you have this massive backend of multiple services running, and it would actually be uh, kind of more beneficial for you to not uh, just have uh, several Ajax requests, particularly with JavaScript. You think it's like make callback A, now callback B, now callback C. Or you can do that nice promise.all if you're in ES6 world where you're just like, run all of these, and then when they come back, do this. Right. Um, the thing, though, is that Redux is really kind of just signals. You just send a signal, and then the and then Grand Redux will respond to it and reply the, yeah, and apply the proper action. So you could abstract your web server into Redux, and then when you say, get this, it'll layer itself down, and then you'll eventually get the Ajax query. So it's another to pattern kind of, to learn, but, you know, well, it's to, really cool. kind of make a... Uh, Comparison, it's kind of like having a pub sub on the front end where you have uh, all these views that are listening for updates, and when you get an update, it just publishes it to anything subscribing to uh, that particular uh, yes. box of data. Yeah. Um, That's a great way think, to simplify it. Yeah, and I think this is a nice way to get ahead of Angular 2, which might, I don't know. I know one person who's using it. Um, is this a crazy thought? For all the crap that Facebook's doing and innovating with all their libraries, why not just like make TypeScript or a version of TypeScript that is an entire backend language with all this shit built in, built into it? Well, you see, so you're saying why, why not make like a node for TypeScript? <laughs> well, they've already they've already Close like, to the mic, can't hear you. They've already basically been working on building their own language with TypeScript. So why not like make a wait a more Microsoft's making Type, TypeScript? Yeah, TypeScript's a Microsoft thing. Facebook oh, is shit, the next I forgot, Microsoft. I forgot no, about that. Why? Do, oh well. uh... Facebook should just make their own backend language and stop fucking with all this JavaScript library. Whoa. That's my opinion. Uh, take it easy on the uh, F-bombs there. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot we cut that out. Yeah, like <laughs> 10 weeks ago. Um, anyway, uh, so what is it? Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, if they could just make a node for TypeScript. Yeah, something like that. But it has all that stuff built in. But that would be so written by Microsoft. To... Why would you want that? Well, then let Facebook do it because they wanted their well, own... Uh, well, you know, this this stuff exists on the PhD, front end, right? not for the reason of the back end stuff. This exists because your front end can get super complicated when you have a substantial back end. Yeah. So why don't they just blend the two? Well, it's they interesting just... because well, they they're, they're, actually creating, they're actually creating a, an entirely separate stack outside of the standard uh, JavaScript stack to do, to do this new React fiber. 
And that means that they have their own little world that your React code is executed in. And it's not even... Really? It's like yeah, it's like hack. Like they wrote a new language to, for JavaScript, just to then dump it back into JavaScript. Well, so is this uh, tra- uh, like transpiling to JavaScript, or is this like it's using, it, or is it like using WebAssembly? So that way, it's doing something totally separate from what JavaScript's actually doing. I'll have to look more into it, but I know that there's a separate pipeline. Which that's and that's going to introduce that's a, a recipe for more disaster because there's going to be a JavaScript update that then Facebook has to update their layer of stuff. Well, do you really want to keep on using Webpack? <laughs> Do you keep on? Do you really want to keep on using Webpack? Webpack like, is another one that updated, had a major update recently, and now Webpack two introduces breaking changes again. These websites course. I made See, a year ago are ancient. I, I, I love Gulp personally for my front end build tool, but uh, I'm a I, fan of Webpack. And in fact, the thing is, well, actually, you know what? No, I was going to save that for later because we have um, something about that later. Anyway, um, wait, wait, wait. All right. I to add to that, I recently installed. Uh, NPM onto Rails without either, and it was actually quite pleasant. Yeah, no, you well, mentioned Rails Tyler. Rails sprockets. And well, hold on, hold on, uh, like hold on. Nice. I want this, 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 and this. Tyler, no, Tyler, Tyler, we we did talk about something recently off the show uh, uh, that you do like using, or you were forced to use, or now you like using NPM as a build tool. And I've looked into that recently. It's actually pretty cool. Yeah, just making a couple scripts right there in the uh, package.json file was. Oh, really the easy. Uh, like uh, pre and post hooks. Yeah. Yeah, I just uh, all I needed was Browserify and Babel, and uh, everything was it was running. Interesting. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. No more Webpack or anything else. But yet, of course, there's still a bunch of tools that you could like. Anyway, uh, let's keep pre- let's press on. Uh, let's see. Um, some Microsoft, since we talked about Microsoft, three Windows stories, and we'll go through them rather quickly. One of them is old. They're increasing. They're in, uh, decreasing in uh, age. The first one is from March twentieth. Microsoft is finally killing Windows Vista. Thank God. Aww. Thank God. <laughs> Microsoft will co- soon co- Microsoft will soon consign <laughs> Windows Vista to the dustbin of history. In April, which is right now, the life of one of the worst versions of Windows since Windows Me ever Says released who? will come to an end. At which point you should seriously consider upgrading or your computer has already been forced to upgrade to Windows 10. Windows Vista has died. It died on April 11th, at which point Microsoft will pull support for the now end-of-life operating system. So what that means is that you don't get patches anymore, you don't get updates, you, don't, you really shouldn't be using it. And it's Windows Vista. It sucks. If you want Windows Vista that works well, upgrade to Windows 7. They fixed all the stuff, and it runs a lot better. You there, Christian? Hello? Wow. Well, Tyler, this hasn't happened to us yet. Tyler, are you? Did you leave me now, too? Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Okay. And if you're just joining us, welcome back to Polar Quest. My name is Eric Newman, and you may have heard a small technical difficulty. What happened was Christ- Christian's computer shit the bed. Well, and, no, uh, Chrome no. Did. What happened, Christian? <laughs> so, so okay. Chrome, Chrome had an oopsie. So I, and, I first uh, get uh, the Zencaster page gets Chrome's version of an ohm, you know, an out of memory, and then my uh, kernel says, "Wait, Chrome ohm," so it kills Chrome. Well, why uh, out of memory? How much RAM do you have? I've got sixteen gigs, so clearly okay, something that's... something was uh, memory leaking. Probably Chrome. Uh, uh, I'm not surprised. It's usually the thing that's leaking memory. 
It's usually yeah, it is. It's either, yeah, and it's usually one of the tabs in Chrome. Well, that, it's uh, because part of it is you also just let websites run any kind of code arbitrarily. Like I, I guess people don't really keep in mind JavaScript. Also, it still runs on the CPU and memory. Just it's not on that computer explicitly. <laughs> Right. So, we were talking about Windows Vista when you left the conversation. Um, I wish I had a SAT word for that, like unfortuitously or something like that. You were involuntarily. And it has the same number of sim- syllables, but it's not the same level of complexity. Anyway, uh, so you left the... We were talking about Windows Vista and that it's end of life, and uh, then your connection was end of life, and you got dropped. Much like support for Windows Vista. Hey, look at that! <laughs> we figured it out. So, um, in addition to Windows Vista that's, gone, that's become end of life, um, a very often used operating system on web servers has also become end of life. That's CentOS 5. And I've been using CentOS 5 personally, and when I say personally, I mean professionally, since 2007, 2006. It's been around for a really long time, much longer than Vista. Oh, wait a second. No, it was the same time Vista came out. Crap. Okay, well, that also has been end of life. And what happens is I have a client who has a server. Uh, his server can't receive updates, nor can you use Yum because it's end of life. And they, and they took down all the mirrors. So, so you have Eric, to update that stuff to CentOS 7. So the big, re- the problem the big reason is, why this happened? Why did this happen? Uh, because so CentOS is uh, – uh, sorry, CentOS – Uses all the open source parts of Red Hat, of RHEL, basically Red Hat Enterprise. Uh, okay, so Linux. first we should say if you remember Red Hat, that kind of forked and they went enterprise and then they kept the free. They made a free version called CentOS. It's not really theirs though. It's that uh, developers from Red Hat have a copy that uh, is uh, completely legal to have, and Red Hat is totally fine with them having. And oh. it's just these are the open source parts of. Uh, Rel and then the enterprise and then the, version uh, non-enterprise version of Red Hat uh, is there, there's like a desktop version that is uh, then the open source version of that is Fedora. Oh, so okay, wait. So let's let's walk this back a second. So Red Hat, like you know, we all used back in the day. I really liked it because it had the proper video drivers for my esoteric home-built computer yeah, back in 2001. Probably got some of the best kernel level support because they have a team that is actually well paid working on that. Oh. <laughs> Right, and that makes sense. So they have the so they there was just Red Hat. Then there was enter, then they had added an enterprise level, yeah. and then the regular Red Hat went away. What happened? Uh, so that's I think it's still a thing. I just think it's not as common because you have Fedora, which is pretty much the same thing. But that's not source. associated directly. No, it's not, that's and, not and Red Hat. It's not the same people. It's just that these are uh, it's the open source parts of Red Hat. Is it kind of like how Ubuntu is Debian? No, that is different. It's uh, like Ubuntu builds on top of Debian. Okay, and these are just forks. Uh, not uh, like a no, not like a literal just... fork. Do they both use Yum? Uh, they did until the newest version of. Uh, well, all these. None of them use Yum anymore. No, they moved over to this thing DNF. Oh, not DTF. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, DNF, do not uh, find... I don't, do I don't actually know what it stands for. Distributed networking filter. Dogs, no... No. Uh, oh, Dandified Yum. That's not what No, it is. Dandified Yum. I'm sorry. Dandified? Yes. D- like it's dandy? 
Uh, I don't know if it's that or there's a uh, particular uh, Red Hat developer who's been there for years who's really well known. His name is Dan? Yes, he's the guy who created SE Linux. Oh. So there's a bunch of Linux stuff that has just kind of fallen from Red Hat as Red Hat, the company, the organization, has moved into obscurity. Because not many people talk about Red Hat anymore. Well, I I would beg to differ. I mean, not Enterprise. Well, I would beg to differ. Uh, In my circle, Red Hat's still a very... uh, uh, they do a lot of the system stuff, and a lot of what comes from uh, into Linux is from Red Hat itself, um, and uh, they are also uh, kind of like a lot of the system D development happens through Red Hat, and uh, in fact, the uh, system D creator is employed by Red Hat. At least he was. At, oh wait, I, I think you're getting case. too deep into uh, internals into operating systems, and your connection might be dying again. That might be what happened. <laughs> uh, Oh no! I've gone cross. But, uh, um. what, what I, what, uh, I guess, uh, backtrack to uh, where, where this came up with uh, CentOS. Uh, a big part of that was actually uh, that uh, Red Hat does all this backporting in its uh, uh, the versions that you pay for it, and then CentOS takes the open source parts of that uh, for backporting to older versions of CentOS. Gotcha. And, and so, to take that all the way back to Windows Vista, Windows Vista still has a 0.78 market share amongst desktop users, which is less than the 1.65% that are still using Windows 8. But Windows XP beats both of them combined. An operating system that was released in 2001 still has an 8.45% market share 16 years later. Hmm. That's largely due to the government, right? Uh, many governments, like India and Russia and China, yeah. they like they love Windows well, XP. The, like the joke XP. I've always heard from uh, people who uh, worked in these uh, environments where you had a lot of uh, developers also in India is that there is only one actual Windows license distributed throughout the <laughs> entire country. I'd believe it, and a lot of the gov- a lot of the. Um, I know it was it was true back in the XP days. It might still be true now. Who knows? But that's part of the reason why Microsoft has gone on such their tirade about piracy. That governments, even like North Korea's government, was well, like, they was, were all using hacked copies of that Windows. Was Bomber's, and a lot of the Chinese uh, Windows, right? Not uh, I don't. What's the new guy's name? Satya. Yeah, he, he he's all for open source and all that stuff. So he seems to be. A well, bit right. More... They're moving away from that, and they gave out Windows 10 for free, yeah. so you don't need to run a hacked copy it as a government. But like, like I said, back in the XP days, uh, wasn't it some computers sold in China came preloaded with a, a hacked version? When I say hacked, I mean also had like viruses and rootkits in it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So even up to Windows, uh, Windows XP. Windows XP, by the way, nothing, things are dropping support for Windows XP faster than people. You can't use the new version of Chrome in XP. You can't, Actually, it, it stopped receiving Chrome, updates. Chrome has become very cranky best. about a lot of things that it's just dropping, like uh, Flash support has become very difficult to use. Well, I mean, that's, uh, I, 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 I don't fault Chrome for that for one reason. When Chrome came out, the only security flaws that it had were in Adobe Flash. Oh, yeah, no, and that's still true. So for it makes part. perfect sense for them to get rid of it. Flash sucks. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. And it's a stalwart of the pre-iPhone era. Just uh, every time you try to watch uh, a movie on a certain uh, website that is a way to ob- obtain a movie without paying for it, without downloading the actual stuff, oh, some I forgot those to tell don't you. exactly use HTML5 video. No, they don't. Along with some other sites that you are not illegally acquiring content, but it is kind of explicit. They also tend to require Flash. Um, like Wait, you Anyway, can... uh, so the thing is, uh, I got caught... Christian. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember you telling me this. Go on, to the listeners. I got, I got caught by the Cablevision cops. I shouldn't say I got caught, because that kind of implies that I did it. But, 
Allegedly, I received a notice this past... Oh, yeah, this past Tuesday, I was handling a release, in fact, and I was actually managing it because some people I mentioned earlier were at a conference and they were they left it to me, which is fine. The release was going was fine. The release well. that you were handling? Uh, not as big as the one last night, but anyway. Oh. Um, so, uh, who else? That was the wrong one. Uh, so the thing is, is that during the release, which uh, I work with people in California, and they schedule it on Pacific time, so I was at like one or two in the morning, and uh, my internet goes down. I'm trying to figure out why, and I restart everything, and I realize, and I, and I finally, um, I can't remember how I have to, I don't, I didn't connect directly to the modem, like going around the router, but I managed to get to uh, a walled garden page in Cablevision land that says, you have been accused of violating copyright law, and we are suspending your internet privileges, even though I'm paying for it, until you click this button that says, I apologize. <laughs> Wait, are you sure this was Cablevision, though, and not a uh, oh, phishing attempt? Oh, it was very much Cablevision. Very much Cablevision. That sounds like a real phishing attempt there. It does, but it's really Cablevision, because after I clicked the button, then the internet came back. Huh. Anyway, so what happened is, I don't know if hitting the button kind of implies guilt, which I will refute, because I don't advocate for the illegal acquisition also, of intellectual property. Also, I like, I like property, that they or... use the phrase, I apologize, as opposed to... No, they don't actually use the phrase, oh, I apologize. Okay. They added that for comedic effect. Don't... Don't poke holes Did in my story. Did you guys hear my theme music? No. Anyway, <laughs> um, the Cablevision cops... Hold on. Soundtrack, please. Cablevision cops... <laughs> <laughs> this week on Cablevision cops, we, we tracked down an internet troll in Brooklyn. That was the best... That was the pinnacle of white trash television. <laughs> Yes, was it's still on? Just you have to you have to subscribe to Country Music Television, apparently, <laughs> or the Bible Network. It's also on that channel. Really? Um, <laughs> Please tell me that's true. No, I, I don't know. I actually found the Bible Network, by the way, in the city. They exist. They're on. Uh, they're downtown. TBN. Anyway, what's up, bro? You gonna chill at home, watch some TBN with me tonight? Yeah. My my. Anyway, uh, so they. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know what the deal is. Allegedly, I've been accused of illegally acquiring content, and then I had to click this button that says. Now, the the thing is, is that it's an accusation. I didn't get a letter. I got a letter from them recently. It wasn't about that. It was about your promotion is about to end. So find out what you could be. You get accused. Let me ask you this, Christian. Mm -hmm. Comcast and Cablevision both do this thing where they add. If you use their the homebrew routers, their routers. Mm -hmm. They're not homebrew, I guess they're white label. Use their routers. They both broadcast a different, another secondary Wi-Fi network called Optimum Wi-Fi yes. or Comcast Wi-Fi. Yes. And if you log in as a, a Cablevision or Comcast subscriber, you can use my Wi-Fi for free. Yes. Or anyone's Wi-Fi. It's supposed to be like, a, you know, if you're out abroad and you need internet. Uh, let's say somebody does that and then downloads something on a BitTorrent site. Is that me? Is that my responsible for that? Um, That's my modem. That's my IP I would, address. I would assume that uh, they're tracking it based on your public IP, and the, so that would right. be a, that'd be and separate which from would be yours. The same. That'd be separate from yours, Why? but it's also Why? possible. Well, because it's two Why separate. Why would it be separate? It it's goes two to the separate endpoints, so it has to be two separate uh, inter, inter, uh, IP interfaces. No, 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 no. They're two separate radios, yes. and that's it. They go to the same router, yes. and the router goes to the same modem. Yes, and that goes to the same optimum. All computers so can have multiple IP addresses. So how is that not me? Because you have to, so you have with each uh, uh, access point, they are separate IP addresses. You have the one that says uh, like uh, cable Wi-Fi, and you have the one that says uh, 
pneumonium uh, 69 knowing you. Um, right. So That's funny. Uh, so it's one of those two. And then each one would be a separate network interface within uh, the actual OS running on uh, on uh, the uh, router, assuming that it's Unix-based. Uh, they're separate. Again, they're, go- they're going to the same modem. Yes. And the modem has one network interface. No, 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 no. It has one hardware interface. One physical layer for both connections. So you're saying it abstract. It has another. This is at the IP layer. If, if, if it is uh, based on IP, which you can have, uh, you can set up multiples. There is like you have a physical one that then becomes your IP one, but through other software and also uh, I'm not entirely familiar with routers, but I do know you can do this easily with routers that you can set up more IP addresses, but also through other networking abilities uh, such as IP tables or um, BGP you can create uh, new interfaces. Well, you've just removed uh, some major plausible deniability that I had, I think. I'd like to think that any random person could have uh, logged also, onto you my don't internet use their and router, and stuff. Uh, Christian. I know what I would say in court. Christian. <laughs> Christian. Now, the, now this is going to be used against me. Great job, jerk-off. <laughs> Wait, I got your defense right here, all right? Jesus Christ. If someone came into your house and stole your car and used that to go drive to the store and steal a bunch of DVDs, that would be all on them. Wait, why it's steal DVDs? Because <laughs> that's – if you're pirating, right, that's what you're doing. You're downloading if you, music. Okay, if, if someone steals my car – I don't have a car. Someone steals my car and then rams it into a red box so that all the DVDs it. No, come out of the red box. they park it outside and then they break the window with the garbage can and then right. they go in. And then they b- grab the DVDs and take the car back to wherever they're chilling at, and then they go home and watch them, and they're there. Then that's not on you. They hijacked your stuff to do their their crime. I think that's what happened. I really that's do. Clearly, and what because Cablevision has not sent me any physical notice saying that this has happened, I mean, what is this? You Someone got nothing could, on them. They don't have. They don't. If they said, look, if they said. Here's the connection log. We know it's you. All right? Don't bullshit. We know it's you. Uh, that's different. But they just put up this web page that said, you've been accused. Well, you can accuse anybody of anything. Yeah, I, I think nothing's going to actually come out of it is the point. Well, they said that if this keeps happening, I could lose my internet privileges. So I'm trying to turn the screws to my building management to get files in here faster. I, I know people that have gotten that multiple times, though. So one yeah, time no, I think you get like five allowances. I, I don't know. You're not going to get well, shut off. I mean, the other thing, maybe that's it. why Christian got dumped from the podcast. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> well, the other thing you could do, and I'm just saying could, not that I do it, but uh, you use WebTorrent and pipe it through Tor, all of a sudden you're an anonymous connection. and it just That's true, like, but it's really slow then, isn't it? Because it's going through Tor. Well, it's slower, but it's also a torrent, so, so it's not like you're doing it? HTTP. You're doing, well, you're doing... Uh, you're doing a, I believe it's TCP protocol. And, uh, yeah, but even I mean, even still, though, it's, it's going off. through the number of hops, which is what really slowed down. Well, each hop could have a throttle on it. So. No, because it's going through uh, the Tor network and then uh, broadcasting. It's it's you're, with a torrent though. You're not going to a single endpoint, so you don't have to go through a bunch of hops. You just go through. No, hey, I know, I've got this file being downloaded from these places. Let me download them still, and it just goes to the one hop that you're proxied through. Eric, couldn't you just hardwire an Ethernet cable to compromise? What? That, that would still go but through cable vision. Speed, the speed you would lose. It would still go through cable vision, right? It's not the sp- uh, it's not the speed from his router to his computer. It's the speed uh, of uh, basically from his router to whatever endpoint you're going through the Tor network in. 
Oh, I thought it would always be faster with hardwire Ethernet regardless. Well, I mean, no, you, you'd, I see mean a, kind of, you'd see a little speed uh, boost, but that would be just from it. Uh, it's the, the big issue is actually what you're seeing. Yeah, uh, the big issue what you'd actually be seeing is the uh, travel between uh, where, uh, Tor, uh, wherever you're going through Tor and your router. Interesting. Yes, and a lot of routers actually have Which, this special software that transmits your data right to the U.S. government that came so out in one of the WikiLeaks things. But anyway, this reminds me of something I found out recently, mm-hmm. which is you can execute code directly on Nix now. What's like, Nix? Like, uh, like a network, like network interface card. Oh. Yeah. That's cool. Does it have a CPU? Yes, is it, that what it that does. Is? Uh, wow. Specific enterprise cards now come with these uh, ARM processors on them to... Uh, the big thing is, like, you can uh, ex- send your traffic to the NSA. Well, no, right? you that can uh, execute your encryption, your decrypting and encrypting on the NIC instead of doing that in user space. Oh, and why don't they just put hard uh, hardware AES? How hard is that? Most modern laptops have hardware a- AES. Now. Well, yeah, you can do the FPGA stuff, and the, the, you're still doing that, but. You still, uh, like, uh, say you're uh, doing some protocol that involves uh, signing every request to show that you are this identity. And with that, every time you're, you're in user space saying, okay, now i got to go sign this, let me go sign this, a lot of the encryption algorithm still does come from the hardware, but you're still uh, going through user space as opposed to saying just in this uh, specific CPU on this card, I'm running this algorithm to encrypt and decrypt, and so this is just being done uh, uh, as a rule, just every single time you have something that needs to. So it just checks, is this encrypted or not? Okay, it is. Let me do my thing. Gotcha. All right, now we got to get back to the news because we have five articles left. And we, there's, n- I mean, we could do a double album since we didn't have last week. But you let's don't have try to go to... all or nothing. You can just add a few five or ten, twenty extra minutes. <clears throat> yeah, I know. Well, the big lie that we tell everyone is that it's an hour-long show. <laughs> Now we're looking at an hour 20. Yeah, let's append that. It's hour, you know, plus uh, another hour. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. uh, So we talked about Windows 7. We talked about Windows 8. We talked about Windows XP. How about Windows 10? That's right. Windows 10 is bringing shitty ads to File Explorer. And I didn't write that headline. It's literally what it's called. Oh, wow. You know, it's in the headline of the article. It's the liberal media, Christian. (laughs) I feel like if it's in the headline, you can say it. It's quoting. So... At this point in time, it's safe to say that most copies of Windows 10 are legit because your computer has been forced to upgrade to it, which means Microsoft has already made money off of it. However, it looks like the company is thirsting for more and wants to inject ads into its file explorer tool. According to the folks at WinSuperSite, which is now called Therat for the Paul Therat who runs it, uh, the ads, starting with promotions to Microsoft OneDrive cloud storage, are easing their way into the upcoming creator's update, which some people are currently testing in beta. There are also similar notifications the previously, in the previously released anniversary update. Nobody asked for this, but yet, here we are. Here's a screenshot of the ad. It says, <clears throat> Get the best deal on your cloud storage with OneDrive. For only $6.99 a month, you can do something. You bought Windows. You bought Office. You, you're paying for stuff. Here's another ad. Another upsell. What? Am I able to buy an ad-free version for a... No fair upgrade. Price. So this reminds me of uh, a while back, Ubuntu had Amazon recommendations based on all of your actions on the OS, but you could turn it off. Oh. Oh. And now they just got rid of it, but you could always turn it off. Thank. And God. also, being Linux, it would be easy to just remove the thing altogether. Right. 
My, by the way, my opinion of Amazon has gone down lately after hearing an audio interview with Jeff Bezos. I didn't realize how much of a surfer stoner that guy sounds like. I can't trust him. Uh, yeah, you know, we that. wanted to send people to space. Really? It sounds like you're in space right now. Dude, what if we had rockets? All right, so last night when I was really high, I was thinking, like, what if we could ship... I, I, can't, I, I can't stand the way... Well, anyway. I hear good things about him, though. Yeah, but he sounds like just like he's... Space Cadet. Anyway. Well, they're, they're HQs uh, in Seattle, too, so keep that in mind. Yeah, and aren't there less, like, s- surfers there? Yeah, but surfers uh, there? I, I could be wrong on this because I don't really know the details of They the have legal weed, but the people keep it together better than, than, than in Portland or in California, from my experience. Hey, um, I feel like I, I forgot to say something last time when we talked about Windows 10, and now that it came up, uh, it's I come back to say. around. What do you want to say? Um, do you guys know the real reason why they skipped Windows 9 and went to Windows 10? Because the a lot of system? code references yeah. the references the uh, if the operating system starts with Windows space nine for Windows 95, 98, yes, and, uh, and Windows uh, 9X as it was called then, that it would string match a lot of the Windows 9. Ironically, yes. much like. There wasn't there wasn't there wasn't supposed to be a Mac OS nine. They were supposed to go eight from uh, right from eight to ten too, and what happened was uh, they had to they had to produce something. I think they had a developers conference and they needed a new OS. And they're like, well, OS ten isn't ready yet, so let's come out with this thing. And then let's also tell you, I think they all they they debuted OS nine, which is basically like the Windows Me of Mac OS, where yeah. they wanted they were reaching for the sky and they needed to get something out really quickly and they well, did a horrible job with, and when OS 9 was terrible. With the uh, and, Windows 9 uh, X issue, I, I'm just picturing this make file where it would have been like, pull in this code that is from Windows 98 and then, they, you know, somebody in development accidentally did that and that's how they found that out because there's no way they just knew this ahead of time. Someone started writing it and they were like, oh, damn it. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, the first unit test <laughs> that was written. Hit, hit, hit compile on the kernel, which if you're compiling kernel, You know, knowing Microsoft, they could have actually spent six months developing it because they actually have code names for all these releases. Mm-hmm. So huh. they could have actually, like, they could have been halfway done with the OS, and then they're like, all right, what's the marketing name for this? Oh, Windows 9, let's do a unit test with Windows. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> or some poor team could have been dancing around making complicated make scripts that never worked. Like, Although, wait, what, is, is there a Windows equivalent to make? I feel like there is. Wake? No. No, but, uh, they're, they're, like, I, I don't know, I guess for most Windows developers, they just hit run in Visual Studio. <laughs> I liked it. But, uh, it would work with Ruby Make. There's, there's gotta be yeah, something. For um, the record, for the record, the way, we got really that... close, we got on the subject uh, before, but we did not actually say this fact, so I wanted to make sure that we came back to it. Yeah, no, yeah, it's good. You. It's a good bit of, of terminology. I'm surprised they didn't call Windows 10 Windows X to really copy off of Apple. <laughs> but you can turn off these horrible ads. Lower the profanity count in the show, Tyler. Uh, thankfully, you can turn off these horrible <laughs> ads by following these steps. Launch Explorer and then click View Options, Change Folder, and Search I, whatever. You could search for this. Just search for Turn Off Ads and Windows Explorer and and then complain to Microsoft about why they're, why they're doing this. Microsoft is billions and billions it. and billions of dollars. Do they need to upsell you on their stupid OS? People who have Windows already are in the Microsoft sphere. They don't need to be upsold. Well, uh, However... Uh, wait, so they are Windows... How, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. However... In the, uh, I have been upsold from the Mac App Store to get the new version of Mac OS. And it has in the notification, it's like, oh, you can do these wonderful things with Mac OS Sierra. 
And it's like, I don't need a commercial. I'm using my computer. There's a reason why I haven't upgraded. Mm. And um, that reason is going to have to change because I don't, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but TurboTax now is now complaining that I'm not on Mac OS Sierra. Really? TurboTax! I, I finished it without Jesus. doing that. Really? Yeah, I got TurboTax. What, Sierra or TurboTax? Uh, uh, TurboTax. I'm on... Uh, Did you do the web version? I'm the, on, uh, what was it, Alcatitan? Oh, that's why. Yeah. I'm on. I'm still on Yosemite Sam. Oh, uh, okay. There it is. Because I don't. I want. I didn't want to go into the whole uh, rootless system I, I, integrity protection. Well, stuff. rootless is not actually a big deal. In fact, uh, it's I have easy. to. No, it is because I have to turn it off. Yes. In order to use my Spaces program, you probably have to turn it off to your job. Yeah, I don't really do and, my job on this uh, laptop anymore. But yes, and it's really true. easy to and turn off. I guess off. you're probably doing it in a in a, some kind of virtualized environment. With Christian, what OS anyway. are you running? Uh, El Capitan for my personal laptop, uh, and then pretty much everything else that I run is Ubuntu. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's Ubuntu actually this really... I, I'm stuck This reminds me, 17.04 just came out, and I'm hearing great things Can in I... comparison to 16.04, which I'm hoping it... Can fi- I ask why... I'm hoping it fixed my Intel uh, network card driver on my laptop. What about 16.12? Uh, they don't... Do, it's... Or 16.10, sorry. Yeah, 10. It's... Uh, it's uh, it's been a while. Year dot month is uh, how that works. I know, I know, I know, I know. I forgot that it was October. Yeah. Uh, what what about sixteen ten? So that also would have fixed uh, the uh, uh, kernel issue I've seen with my network card, but it didn't fix some of the desktop issues I have, which were cool. Uh, under well, uh, uh, under graphics uh, load, OS I would build? my screen would start to flicker, so I'd be in, like hangouts the and it would looking flicker. Looking like goo when you drag it. Like you know, video chat like... hangouts. Like I wouldn't be surprised to see you on uh, like, you know, Arch or something like that. No, here's the question you should be asking, Christian: Why are there? you using a, uh, a a GUI? Why aren't you just using a terminal? Why do you even bother to install? Uh, I think we lost him. I think we lost him again. This isn't good. No. And you know, ironically, he had the lowest ping time to Zencaster. He had the lowest ping. He supposedly had the best connection out of all of us, and he died again. He's got a great ping, but something's, something's not working. He can't keep he's, it up. He's, I guess he's got a great ping, but he can't keep it up for very long. I don't know. We're trying. Uh, what do we do? This is really, this is a tough, this is almost like that time that we did, what was it, the Christmas episode where your uh, recorder kept dying on us? I think so. I'm sorry, folks. Uh, we are being delayed due to testicle difficulties. But yeah, from the most technologically advanced person of the back. three of us, keeps having these issues. Christian, do I need to string a Cat Five cable across the East River or what? Like, Tin can. No, <laughs> it's not a network issue. It's a memory issue. Zencaster has a memory leak, and I actually have the heap trace oh, this time to prove it. We've got okay. Well, I've got Zencaster running, and it looks like it's using. I mean, I'm I'm the whole computer is using like five gigs of RAM. No, wait. Oh, I have 32. Okay, 8 gigs of RAM. I'm looking at a pie chart. 8 gigs hey, of RAM. we've got a GitHub issue of our own for next week. There you go. Well, I, I don't think Zencaster's on GitHub, even though it totally should be. That no, all awesome. my Chrome stuff is using under a gig of RAM. What's the, your issue? Are you... Uh... Uh, I'm seeing just uh, in uh, the JavaScript world, uh, it's creating objects like every few seconds. Maybe they had an but, update. Uh, in the, uh, in the uh, 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 tracing Chrome world, I'm seeing... Like just like it looks like what you do if you do like a for loop, uh, and then inside of it you have a malloc. So it's like just keep on throwing stuff on the heap all oh, the time. <laughs> when do you allocate memory? Uh, are we when do you recording? allocate stack memory? I think so. 
Well, stack memory is automatically allocated based on ex- so the, uh, so execution what type of the binary. Oh, so, so, it's all like, so like your ints and, and other stuff will be stack, and then the yeah, yeah, yeah. Your 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 call stack is always with uh, part part of the. But I mean, uh, I guess what stack. I'm saying is the compiler decides what goes declared. on the stack versus the heap. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but sort of. Well, sort of. Uh, that's uh, it's just part of the actual kernel to say these uh, these instructions when you are do in a the malloc, stack. Does that is that always when the you heap? load it? Okay. Yeah. So you you put things on the heap for it to exist outside of the scope of which it was or uh, to have a declared. dynamic so size, right? When it leaves. The, you don't need to do that unless it is leaving. Well, I thought uh, your it was something stack. like, like, uh, like, like I said, like ints and like, like primitives could be in the stack, but then your objects and more complex variables have to be uh, in the heap because they have a long, they have an undetermined length. Only, only if they uh, exist uh, past their call stack. So, say you declare a struct within a certain function, if that is just being passed into another function, and then you get a value out of that struct. Uh, then, so you're passing it by reference. So you get the pointer to it, and you pass that into another function that's within the function that this was all declared in. And then you just need a certain field out of there. You don't need to allocate that struct mm. on the heap. But if you're actually returning that struct out of that function, then you need to allocate that struct on the heap so that way it'll exist outside of that gotcha. function. Interesting. Well, okay, let's press on. That's our second technical difficulty. Maybe they had some kind of update. We should find their pull request and decline it. Needs work. <laughs> And then they'll do that to us and not let us use this for a podcast anymore. And then they'll have the last laugh. Anyway, okay, we're done with Windows. But yet, here's another Microsoft news story. And this one is from this week. Uh, 420 was this week, right? Yeah, yeah from this week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, ironically, I didn't participate in 420, believe it or not. And I can only really say that on the podcast because I didn't do it. Like, 420, man, that was weeks <laughs> ago. <laughs> Yeah, I, this is the this is the what? first one. Well, three days. I think it's the first it. one that I didn't participate in. Anyway, um, I mean, you know, since I started. Uh, so you, you, you came I said out of since the I started, smoking. right? You just had a joint. First thing you did. Yeah, that's you know, why I'm so the laid back. Uh, you your Christian, and you cry. The doctor uh, spent you on the bottom, and you. That's uh, why I'm so joint. laid back. Easy going. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face. Uh, this is about <laughs> Microsoft Authenticator. Microsoft and Google and all these big companies have a way to generate passwords and for you to use two-factor authentication to log into their services. In fact, I believe macOS Sierra uh, is allowing you to log in with 2FA, two fa the number 2FA, uh, as is the acronym. Two-factor authentication, I believe macOS Sierra is allowing you to log in with that. Um, Isn't that one, though, like NFC with your watch or something? I don't think the laptops have NFC. Uh, I think the newest one. Oh, great. So it'll only work if you have the newest laptop with the newest operating system. You know, I'm getting sick of this. I don't think it used to be this bad. And and technology was a lot harder Uh, to use 10 years ago. I think it was always. I think hardware was always like that. Like hardware and operating systems. I think Apple has got too arrogant, especially since Steve died. And the fact that they just, like, cut people off. and, And, like, I can't compile. A new I can't compile an iOS 10 app unless I have macOS Sierra, and my computers are on. Uh, well, that's necessarily true, though. One example: iPhone 4. That shit still works great. Yeah, not unless you uh, unless you <laughs> update it to OS. Wait, unless you update it to it, uh, iOS 10. Good luck. Oh wait, you can't because they don't can. support it anymore. 
Yeah, they just killed. They yeah, just that, killed updates the only go to like uh, the uh, iPhone yeah, 5. Yeah, exactly. Right that's now. my point. I, and, 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 uh, yeah. Anyway, and the iPhone 5, I think, had some huge battery issues. So, and then, you know, everything uh, Works sucks. for me. Everything sucks now. Well, just like that real big fish song. In comparison to Samsung. At least their phones don't ah, blow up. In comparison ah, to Samsung battery uh, problems. That new Samsung S8 looks beautiful, by the way. I, wow. I would does, be very yeah. cautious about putting it near my face for the first no, six months. No, they're not going to use the same battery. I've had an S7. The S7s and S6s don't blow up. It's only the, the, <laughs> the notes. And their washing machines. Those blow up, too. <laughs> and their microwaves. And sometimes their monitors. Um, also, anyway. iPhones blow up, and no one talks about it. I, that's true. It's yeah, all the lithium-ion batteries. Yeah. Yeah. And they're and they're not even yeah. made by well, the manufacturers. The, the particular that particular one because actually the, the, the that note same and it. the iPhone no, have the same exact battery. And that's also important to note. Ah, note <laughs> that uh, the battery manufacturers are often shared between device manufacturers, and the most the most popular uh, device manufacturer typically gets blamed for the problem. Uh, so Apple gets blamed sometimes, and Samsung gets blamed sometimes, but really it's a problem. Oh, like oh here here it is. I, mean, I forgot what it was. Well, I mean, Apple gets blamed Samsung. for using Foxconn, but many 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 technology companies use. But Dell uses Foxconn. Many technology companies use Foxconn, but nobody talks about the only association with Foxconn really is with Apple when you talk about it, and you talk about the suicide nets and the people, the children working for pennies today. Anyway, uh, mm. they also do that for other anyway, devices. Anyway, Microsoft Authenticator. Do you hate passwords? I don't, but baby boomers typically do, and you can use this Microsoft Authenticator to limit to use two-factor authentication while only entering one password. That's right. Microsoft Authenticator is pleasant, pleasant enough two-factor authentication. At why is the highlights not here? I almost had that transition perfectly down. Another show. Okay. But for Microsoft accounts, Redmond is offering something new. Getting rid of that first password and using the phone to authenticate. With phone-based authentication enabled, oh, so after entering your Microsoft account email address, which used to be called your passport, um, you'll receive an alert on your phone. From that alert, you can either approve or reject the authentication attempt. No password necessary. This time... The same approve or reject choice on the phone has been offered previously to Microsoft accounts, but in the past, it still required the use of the password. So now, they're using two-factor authentication to make two-factor one-factor. So, first thing is, I remember uh, some PhD guy proving that the uh, time-based hashes can be hacked uh, for uh, the second uh, factor in two-factor, but... The, the benefit that you get from two-factor is the fact that it's two layers of security. So going back to one kind of defeats the whole well, purpose. Well, remember, it's still this is coming from the company that doesn't hackable. require you to enter your password when something wants to use root privileges. They just give you the, they give you the yes, oh, no right. button. Oh, right. It's just like, no, hey, what they okay. say is going on, as I've heard from Security Now, a great podcast, uh, that uh, they have an entirely separate shell that comes up when that security prompt enters and there's supposed to be some kind of uh, a membrane there that nothing that's running on your shell can access this secure layer and that's where the box is it's supposed to be the it's supposed to be the windows equivalent of a trut oh is that what a trut is well uh, it's uh, what it is in full detail is actually a, a container there are windows yes. containers and they're the, they're the boxes uh, of the cd so it's sorry no, no. I, I mean, like, like uh, Docker, which there is a Docker for Windows, by the way, that is actually but you can only running run Windows natively containers Windows, not a VM. In Windows Docker. But is that Windows right. Mobi now? Right. You can, it's... No, Mobi is just okay. the source code. Gotcha. It's still Docker. 
Yeah. Gotcha. Which, yeah, that is confusing. But, uh, well, yeah, you know, geeks it, it, are not uh, marketing so havens. Actually, I'm just confused. This is, so this is kind of cool because this, uh, this is something they got from uh, Linux because uh, Linux always does this where until you're logged in, you're in a uh, uh, like a uh, kind of just namespaced out root there, which is uh, two uh, thirds of what a container is made up of. And that way, uh, if you are trying to do damage, all you can really do is try to get out of that container. And the simplest way to do that is to just log oh, in. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think that's enough Microsoft stuff. You know, it's funny because, Christian, when we started this show many, many weeks ago, last year, when we started this show, uh, we were talking a lot about Apple. And then, you, and then we decided to not really talk about Apple that much. And culturally, we still bring it up. But I don't think we've really talked about mm-hmm. many Apple news stories. Am I wrong? I don't think no, they've, they've been, been doing sucking. much lately. That's they what just... they've been doing. But that's another story. <laughs> they did bad. That's like, all you they, need they, to they, hear they, about they Apple, the right? They, the, the new Sierra file system, I'll, I'll give them props for that. That's because that's, that's, that's a copy and write journaling uh, file AFS? system. That's, that's APFS? Something like that. And it's a... Uh, it does like write write ahead journaling, which is pretty cool. It does copy on write. I think you have to actually uh, do a flag. Yeah, let's for take copy a quick write, tangent but, and uh, talk about APFS. Since this is a news show, and it looks like we're probably going to end up doing a double album. That uh, let's see, let's talk about the new APFS. Is uh, this is uh, Microsoft also tried to have a new file system back in the Windows Longhorn days where everything was in a database. They were supposed to have like a SQL based file system, and that never happened. It probably that was. That's why they ran away from it. Um, I okay. Uh, so I, I'm just pulling this up. This is from Cult of Mac. It's hard to believe that Apple's speedy Macs are still using a file system that was developed more than 30 years ago. It's my 30th birthday's coming up. When floppy disks and spinning hard drives were considered cutting-edge technology, but that's going to change in 2017 with the new Apple file system, or APFS. That debuts in iOS 10.3 and macOS 10.12.4. Here's everything you need to know about APFS. All right. Uh, one file system for all Apple products makes sense. By the way, this is not the... F- you're, we're using HFS Plus, which is not the original. It was HFS. HFS, which... Uh, no, I don't have that anymore. I was going to say, I, had, I used to have a system that had it on a floppy disk. Macintosh still works. But anyway, uh, HFS required that you had an empty folder called Untitled Folder in order for you to make new folders. Every time you made a new folder, mm-hmm. copied the untitled folder into a new one. Wow. And it wouldn't let you delete the, un- the original untitled folder. Or, actually, I never tried. Maybe you could, and then it would really just mess up the computer. So, yeah. Anyway, now we have HFS Plus, which is much more modern, and it's been worked on over the years. So it is a modern file system. We don't want you to think that you're still using the same thing that when you inserted a floppy disk to boot up your Mac, that it's the same thing as it was then. Of course not. But here's yet another level. You still with us, Christian? You've remained oddly yeah, silent, but it's fine. I appreciate it. Um, no, because I'm getting into the whole theatrical presentation of content. That's what I really want to work on. Anyway, um, one system for all Apple products. That makes sense. Uh, optimized for today's Apple devices. APFS is also optimized for devices that use flash and solid-state storage, like most of the products Apple sells today. Okay, so that's the copy and write. Uh, well, that's, no. uh, that's the trim and copy and write, isn't it? It's the trim, take a deep, but uh, that's not copy on right. Oh. Uh, the new Apple file latency in mind, which makes it particularly beneficial to mobile devices. 
Uh, blah, 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 the latency blah. part is the uh, uh, that's the write ahead what journaling. What of write ahead journaling? How do you write ahead? Mm-hmm. It's a confusing term, but it's actually saying you have a journal that says you do these actions first, and then uh, when when it's in the journal, then it actually goes and uh, kind of tails the journal to say, okay, uh, what I actually got to do to the disk is do this thing. Gotcha. And then it can kind of like aggregate those changes together and then do them at one time. APFS means strong encryption. Now, one thing that I read, that's not in this article, but I read that it, it will have, well, first I'll say, it has encryption built into the file system, which is cool. But I read somewhere that it's multi-key encryption, that it would allow multiple private keys uh, to access the same resource. The problem is, Christian just dropped again, Tyler. Yep. Go on. He'll come back. And I'm back. And we're back. And we're back. Then we're back right here with Chris Grabowski. How's it going? Well, just another room, so that was fun. That's fantastic. Who else but Quagmire? Anyway, we're talking about APFS's strong encryption. And I said that it brings encryption to the files. So you still there? Yeah, I'm here. It's still very okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. You got to ask. We gotta, you got to ask yeah. at some point. I'm not, and I'm not I, looking. I got is... to get with the time, start running my Chrome in a container. I you know oh jeez oh, also Just I'm I have Zencaster on another from computer. Container. I'm not I'm I have I have the recording and all that other stuff on another computer. So anyway, uh all right. APFS means strong encryption. We're talking about how APFS Apple's file system will allow you to have encryption right on the file system, but I read somewhere. I don't and it's not like InfoWars somewhere that uh, I don't actually read InfoWars by the way. Um though he makes a lot of money. But uh, I um, that it's multi-key encryption that it's going to allow multiple crap. <laughs> this is a show, you know. We, we we take a week off and one and all this stuff happens. Um, anyway, that it's going to allow multiple private keys to access the same resource on your disk. Yeah. So what does that mean? That means that let's say the government wants to have a private key. I don't think it's that. I think it's uh, more. Uh... And you'll never know. You'll well, never know. And your your stuff could be whole disk encrypted, and then they could just, as soon as you go to an airport, put a device in and suck out all your information. You'll never know. And you'll think, the worst part is you'll think well, it's secure. People who actually not. read, people who have knowledge of the source code of how this is being done will know. And it could be that, yes, there is a key that yeah, you'll they'll never get know Yeah, they'll get an about. NSL. They'll get a, a national security or, letter. Or they could be doing this for the purpose of multi-tenant computing, so that way when you have multiple users on a... Uh, from an Apple perspective, it's probably more so you have multiple users on a single laptop or something like that. NSA agent John requests access to view this file. You know, this way, when uh, uh, you're, you got to keep uh, those uh, Swiss bank account secrets from uh, your significant other for whatever reason, uh, you can put them on a certain partition on the disk, and then they can see it, though. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Uh, here's the next thing that is probably wrong. It says, new Apple file system is future-proof. So, not only does APFS come with new features and the ability to take over everything, but it's also built to last. Yeah, right. Mm. Apple plans to use it for years to come, and the company has since taken steps to ensure that APFS is capable of handling anything that will be thrown at it, right? Well, Let's see. I, mean, I don't know, because it is kind of following the latest trends. Well, and... remember, it's just a marketing name. 
Yeah, HF, but, like I said, HFS Plus, that's not the 1989 HFS Plus. No, but this this is more than a name, though. They added a lot of features that are also... No, they the did, key and it's going to be really cool. And new file systems, too. Like, you look at uh, ButterFS is like that new hot uh, file system for Linux that like you, can't, you can't uh, run databases on, but... Uh, you can um, you can actually use that as the file system for your containers, which is pretty cool. And you can use it for uh, Facebook actually uses it for data storage, and uh, you can also do it for uh, if you're like uh, building a uh, block storage or object store. You could use it even though uh, traditionally uh, the uh, more more well known from the uh, FreeBSD guys ZFS, which you can run on Linux too, because uh, Linux has a virtual file system, so it supports plenty of underlying file systems. Uh, you can also run ZFS for uh, the same purposes, which has uh, actually got a lot of the same features, just more stable, because it's been around longer. Hmm. Um, let's see. Any downsides? Uh, can't be used on startup disks or Apple's Fusion drives. That was another mistake of theirs. That's odd. Um, well, I know. I mean, it makes... Uh, the not startup disks is odd, yeah, but the Fusion drives, I mean, I don't... I feel sorry for people who have that. I guess it makes sense, but I don't know. Well, I guess you, you wouldn't mean, want uh, you, you wouldn't want journaling. I, is that wait? Actually, fusion and, drives. That's really just like RAID, isn't it? It's basically is it? a, It's an SSD and a regular hard drive that are married together, and with some oh, kind of cache, so, uh, it has a, yeah, it has a cache, and it determines like what type of data you're using and the frequency. I've and seen plenty what, of setups where, where they that. use SSDs as cache, and then yeah, uh, it's like a, it, it is traditionally a. Uh, I forget, like, I think you can configure it through RAID, but it doesn't necessarily have to be through RAID. No, but I mean, isn't, I mean, they call it Fusion like it's something new, but is it, isn't it just like a RAID configuration? Like a map, I believe like a you can achieve this, I mean, this through RAID, I believe, yeah. if memory serves. Um, when will the new APFS be available? If you're running iOS 10.3, you already got it. It came out on March 27th. Huh. But because I'm still using uh, an OS from four years ago, I got nice and comfy in it, you know? It's like that old pair of jeans that you've been wearing all week. Yeah, see, I can do that with my uh, uh, with my uh, Mac OS. I'm perfectly comfortable with leaving it on El Capitan, uh, in part because I don't feel like uh, buying the new license for VMware. <laughs> it's the one thing I pay for. But, oh. Because uh, it's actually a really high-quality VM. Why do you have to if... buy a new license to upgrade the OS? Uh, oh, it's a new the... VM. Well, you're going to have yeah. a new VMware anyway. Yeah, I'm saying I'd have to get the new VMware, which I'd have to buy the new license for. I'm on VMware 7, which is the one that supports Yosemite and El Capitan, but it does not support, uh, what, what is it, uh, the thing with the S. Sam. What? No, what? Sorry. Sierra? Sierra. I almost wanted to say Solaris, and I'm like, no. 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 No, Sierra. They're getting yeah. more esoteric with their names. I By the way, I didn't mention this. Wait, here's the big. Here's the wait. I'm sorry, Tyler. Here's the biggest problem with a, APFS. It won't be recognized by any OS earlier than Yosemite. Oh, sorry, including Yosemite. Any OS older than Sierra, it won't even recognize the drive. Hmm. How hard they can't do that over a software update? Are you kidding me? Well, I think that's partially because I don't want to. I don't want to channel but younger Larry David. They're not going to rip out the file systems. I don't understand why Apple. You know, it's just software. I don't understand why Apple. You can't. You got. You have your uh, uh. updates. Why can't you just download that right to the computers? I remember back in 1996, I had a Macintosh that could read a PC disk. Do you know how hard that was back then? No, nobody know. Well, anyway. so what I was going to say is... Uh, Seriously, and, though, back in 1996, I mean, seri- th- that's the company Apple used to be. Actually, Steve Jobs yeah. wasn't there back in 96, was he? But, no, he wasn't. But, uh, uh, 
But uh, part, uh, what I'd say is this is probably a actual issue in the kernel's design that it would take a lot of work to reverse, and that's that uh, it does not have a virtual file system like Linux does. It uh, uh, has just that actual file system, so in order to backport it, it would be a lot of work. You know, uh, Why? Oh, oh, they wrote it. It's, it's Mac OS, software. Mac OS isn't designed to be this uh, thing where you can use multiple storage backends like you can with Linux. It is you have this one particular storage uh, backend, and similarly, uh, the cousin to macOS would be uh, FreeBSD. It has two different uh, storage backends. So you're, you're telling me that they're going to have to significantly alter the operating system's internals in order to allow you to read a Fusion drive. Uh, not not a Fusion drive explicitly, but uh, I mean not a Fusion drive. I'm sorry, APFS. APFS. Yes, you'd have to uh, basically just say I uh, you'd. You pretty much need about like a third of what the Sierra kernel is, so you might as well just upgrade. Jeez. Well, upgrading is free, so go ahead and do it. Mm -hmm. Unless you uh, like me and got settled into your operating system with all of the things that you've customized and hacked together. Actually, I was going to say about the uh, being comfortable with it. On the other hand, with Linux, I'm just like upgrade every time I can, and I'm like, I got no worries. (laughs) Well, also everything that you work in is virtualized. The mistake that I made is running all these servers. No. No, um, on my work machine, that is all just Ubuntu, and then I put it in containers, but that's still running on my host kernel. Oh, well, the thing that I, I – you – okay. I bet if I did an archive and install, it would be fine. But I don't do that because the once in three years that I actually oh. do upgrade my dro- my computer, you know, I just start from scratch because I want to – The one, the one thing that I do find hilarious about upgrading Ubuntu is you see the uh, ways they abstract – because – Ubuntu's gone through multiple init systems uh, over the years, and you see how they abstract these uh, services until they're actually ported over to the new init system Mm. by saying, take that thing that you were using for the older init system, and here's a wrapper around it. So it's like, systemd, execute what you do in upstart, execute what you do in sys5init. That's, yeah. Um, Christian, I I am a real geek, and I'm not geeky enough to get that joke. (laughs) Well, my coworkers get it. <laughs> I, I I need to. I I'm just know. hanging out, man. I what, no are you, what are you up to, Tyler? I can understand nine words in that book now. <laughs> <laughs> back uh, to let's see. Uh, there's the Adam going, Sandler going reference. The outline we here. came back to the start of the episode. Well, why don't we take a break? We have layers here, guys. <laughs> why don't we take a break and uh, we can talk about um. Uh, the fact that I actually also had to restart Chrome while we were we had this outage doesn't help because uh yeah all right let's take a break and uh talk about where am I that is the wrong music was it this one oh, say friends do you live in New York City well if you do pneumonium has a beautiful new product for you it's called Where Am I, your five-borough commerce navigator to help you get anywhere from Staten Island to the Bronx. Simply go to www.whereami.nyc and enable location services on your mobile device to find the closest, uh, to find the neighborhood borough and three closest subway stops to you, wherever you are. No ads, no tracking, just geospatial brilliance. That's Where Am I, brought to you by Pneumonium. Pneumonium, reinventing media daily. Sponsored by Wolf Cola. <laughs> yes, and there's a sequel to Where Am I? I'm not just doing another. Well, I do this every time. Where are or, you? There's a sequel to Where <laughs> Am I? Oh, there you, there you go. Uh, called Next Train, and I'm starting to work on Next Train. 
And the thing is, starting to work, and in the, uh, if I, I have mentioned it before, the idea behind Next Train, I already bought the domain name so you can't steal it from me, is that uh, we, we can figure out what subway station you're in, so we'll just tell you when the next train's coming. And that's it. It's another website where you won't, ha- where you won't have to enter anything, unless maybe there's Aww. a lot of trains that go to your state. If it's a big station, like Union Square or Times Square, you know. Um, but it's another one of these sites. So problem is, is where am I represents, it's not just a thing that I made over a weekend, even though it kind of is. It represents a struggle that I'm having in web development, in modern web development, which is that it's really hard to start a project with modern tools these days. Uh, where, where am I is a lamp site. For better or for worse, it's a lamp site. It became that way because I had spent for weeks, weeks, multiple weeks, trying to get it to work with, with, with Elasticsearch and with everything was in Node. Everything was supposed to be modern, 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 new, new, new. Didn't work. Christian, I, I tapped you. Uh, not euphemistically, but I, you know, <laughs> tried to ask you to help me figure out Elasticsearch since you are such a maven, and you, we couldn't get it together. It just wouldn't work. So mm-hmm. I said, screw it, and in a, in a weekend, I made the LAMP version of Where Am I, and it works. And I'm not just trying to, you know, say it arrogantly. It, the problem is... Well, I, I mean, mean it, it works in uh, the scale that you're using it. Okay, but you know that stuff can be abstracted. I bet that well, if you you could you know if you ran this on a digital ocean droplet and then just scaled the droplets, it'd be fine. The thing is, that's horizontal scaling though, which that's how big is your checkbook until you get to a certain point where even hey, depends on how many people work. are. I need to put an ad on where am I, and then I could start raking in those pennies. Anyway, um, the thing yeah, is, is, is that. Uh, yeah, and it's also ironic that I made an ad that does tell you where you are, but we're not tracking you. We're not saving your location at all. We're not even using anything by Google. That was part of the exercise is to just, you know, it's just self-contained thing, and we're not saving anything. Um, next train has to be done. I'm not letting myself fall into this trap again. Next train has to be done in a React app. It has to be done in a modern way. And I, am, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I've been, I, for the last week, I've been reading up on all of the changes to these big frameworks that I wanted to use. React, and I'm sure Flux is going to update, and, and Redux is going to update. And um, Wasn't Flux a methodology and Redux's natural implementation of it? I don't know. You could make it a Rails app. Webpack updated, there's Webpack 2. Uh, if you make I it a Rails found, app, he has the same scaling issue. I found a boilerplate that has, I'm not kidding... 16 different libraries chained together. And I, I looked through them all, and that, I would end up using them That sounds a little anyway. small for JavaScript, actually. I know. <laughs> I know. That's the problem. I'm trying to look it up. Yeah. So here it is. It's called, uh, and you can find this on GitHub. It's called React Redux Universal Hot Example, a starter boilerplate <laughs> for universal America web America's super happy number one. Yes. <laughs> it has universal, not isomorphic rendering, so it's the same code for both the client and the server. React, React Router, Express. I don't know why that ever. Hold on, let me give you the whole. Let me, let me give you the whole spiel. Uh, Babel, Webpack, Webpack Dev Middleware, Webpack Hot Middleware, Redux's <laughs> fu- futuristic Flex Flux Im- implementation. There you go. It was, I, yeah, I was wrong. Flux is an implement is a thing. Philosophy. Redux implements it. Redux Dev Tools, React Router Redux, ES Lint, Re, uh, Redux Form for form state. Uh, LRU memoize to speed up form validation. Multi-reducer to combine single reducers into one key-based reducer, even though people tell you that you're supposed to not have one reducer because that makes it too big and monolithic. Anyway, yeah, I was going to say, uh, I, built, I built that uh, before uh, Flux was a thing. 
Okay, let's see. There, I'm not, there's more. Style loader, SAS loader, and less loader to allow import of style sheets in plain CSS, less SAS, and less. Bootstrap's SAS loader. Font Awesome Webpack to customize Bootstrap and Font Awesome. So your boilerplate, of course, must have Bootstrap, must have Font Awesome, must look the same, must be in well, Athletica. Well, I think uh, a um, good portion wait, of the wait, web there's is more. React Helmet, Webpack Isomorphic <laughs> Tools, and Mocha for unit tests. That makes sense. Yeah, but... It's kind of like... It sounds like front-end rails to me. When I was a kid. When I was a kid, you could just make an Apache website. Uh, by that, do you mean static HTML? No, but the thing is, it's like, I, I mean, the, I have a PHP framework, believe it or not. It's called oh, yeah, Nimbus. Sure. It's on GitHub. And I don't really, I don't, I don't even want to use it anymore. Well, but I the, the framework of... evolved out of the language staying relatively similar for a long time. I always tried to keep it up to date get, with the newest stuff. You get a lot more web traffic, though, these days. And I think that's the issue with a lot of this uh, stuff that was old that worked for putting up a website. And you could still put up a modern website with it. But I think at a certain point, it's just the, there's more people on the web. More and more, there's more devices on the web. you got IoT, so that way your toaster can tell you uh, what the weather is in Mumbai while you're living in San Fran. Okay. God well, there. Oh, I forgot to tell you the biggest thing about this. It's out of date. Everything is out of date. It doesn't use new. It doesn't use React Fiber. It doesn't use Webpack Two. It doesn't use anything modern. All of these. All of these major libraries have released new major ch- releases with breaking changes recently. Somebody has forked this, and they've made another pull request. Uh, he said it. He, he said, said it. He um, said that a lot. This show. Uh, that uh, that has those changes, but it has a merge conflict. So, what do, what am I? What do we do? What do well, I do? This is ridiculous. Well, this is, this is ridiculous. The JavaScript community at its uh... okay. Oh, yeah, please stop defaming the JavaScript people. We get it, okay? But this is how it is. So, no, what I'm am I supposed to, to do? I'm not saying any one developer. I'm just saying this is what happens when you have a giant community of developers pushing in any direction. This is what happens when you get ten thousand people out of code school and they don't know what to do. You do See, need webpack like hot middleware to get. But... You need webpack hot middleware to get webpack dev middleware. That's not even a joke. That's, webpack two uh, came out right. recently, um, so that's the thing. Uh, there's React Fiber, which this doesn't use. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure now that there's mod. I'm sure not, now that there's modern relay, Redux is going to update. How by the time if I even manage to start next train, like, and I manage to make I mean, it, so what's gonna I, what, what, what is it going to be then? Well, I mean, I mean, one thing you haven't even talked about is what is your back end? Because I feel like for this particular app, that's uh, even more important because of oh, all the geodata. Oh, you know, you know what that answer is. Still? PHP. Really? <laughs> well, I have, because I have an existing API layer going with PHP for where am I, and I just want to utilize that, because it's all going to go to the same database anyway. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm just going to route tons of traffic to you now. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. I'll put a display ad on it and then uh, break in those pennies. Do you still get money for bot traffic? Uh, if they execute the JavaScript call, then yes. I'll explicitly not... No, come on. <laughs> help me out. We don't have ads on the show. I'll buy, I'll buy you a beer with the money. The pennies. <laughs> I'll be happy to get $7 out of that. Penny beer night. Is, is this college again? Not in New York City. Um. <laughs> anyway... Uh, I think we're, I mean, we're really, we're at, I think this is two hours once we cut out the, uh, the pauses and stuff. Yeah, the, uh, man downs. Men's Giggity. down? People down. We have to be more egalitarian. 
No, it's just we are all men. I believe. Are we you all assuming identify. my gender? 2017, brah. Christian, are you assuming my gender? Yes, because you've called yourself a man before. I, that doesn't mean Don't if I were gender, gender. Anyway. This is not that podcast. We're not going to get into that. <laughs> um, there is the last thing I wanted to touch on then, and this kind of is very much related to what we're talking about, is this article called Modern JavaScript for Ancient Web Developers. And That's a great title. <laughs> although I am not yet 30 years old, I am an ancient web developer. I started making websites in 1999. I was going to say, you're not that ancient. Like, I know uh, people who, uh, they built their websites in Perl. No, by the way, I'm I'm much better than a Gen Xer. I see that code, I'm like, who wrote this? This person's like 45. Anyway. And then yeah, people like my uh, dad, who, uh, it's funny, he's actually uh, in the process of switching over an old uh, embedded Perl website over to a Node site. How's that going? It's, uh... It's interesting. A uh, big part of it is to, because he has to be on this particular server in order to even run Imperl, and it's a physical server that he's paying a load of money for. So uh, it'd be nice to get off that and pay like $5 a month on a DigitalOcean server. Yeah. I have, a, I have a client that has is paying through the nose. You could rent a studio apartment for the amount that he's paying. He's on a, like a, a, a pricing plan from 2003, back when you could get away with that type of stuff. And and I and I'm trying to tell him that DigitalOcean, he could get the cheapest plan. It has twice of what he has now for ten percent of the cost. That's ridiculous. Wow. He's paying for managed support too. I feel like we've plugged DigitalOcean a lot this episode. And we, hey, we're not even people, if them. anyone at DigitalOcean cares to listen to us, please let us, you know sponsor our show. Yeah, they great. sponsor a few, a few podcasts here. There, we yeah, should, we'll do uh, a live uh, yeah. a live thing there. We'll do we could do a pull request live at DigitalOcean. That'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm inviting you to doing it. You can't say no. We get DigitalOcean guests. Yeah, talk some. We already got the stuff. shirts. We go to the meetups. You know. Yeah, uh, in fact, I I'm already complained at... about you guys using Helvetica. It's fine. I'm looking it's at fine. two of their, their foam shirts right now on my desk. Or Proxima Nova. That's um, anyway. Um, okay, modern JavaScript for ancient web developers. I'm going to skip the first twenty percent of the article. Um, The section, New Problems, Not Yet Established Solutions. When you're you're learning modern JavaScript, there's a good chance that the solution to the problem you're having is still getting worked out. In fact, it's very possible that that it is only one code review away from getting merged into the package you're using. Just like I said! I found out that the guy that was developing that boilerplate, by the way, flaked out. It's also one of the problems of open source. Well, some open source. Well, this, this is open source. Um, when you're working with an ancient language like PHP, you Google, <laughs> you Google a question or problem, and almost 100% of the time, you'll find a five-year-old Stack Overflow answer that solves it. Well, that's most Stack Overflow at this point. In fact, a lot of people have stopped using Stack Overflow due to the fact that a lot of the answers are old, but you just get what you need. Okay. Or just re- really bad information. You really took the air out of that stuff. Like Mongo. You should write the author to this, uh, this article. Anyway, not so much with Definitely. modern JavaScript. I found myself trawling. T-W-A-T-R-A-W-L-I-N-G. Not trawling. Trawling through comments. Of comments on GitHub issues and source code only to find information that contradicts out-of-date documentation written by Christian. Me, right, documentation, that's ridiculous. (laughs) Zing. (laughs) 
Parsing GitHub repos is part of learning and using various JavaScript packages, and for an old person like me, working that close to the edge can be bewildering. <laughs> the other difficult thing about learning JavaScript in 2017 is getting set up will make it will feel like it takes you as long as building the app. Hello. Exactly. Well, I'm curious so where true. this guy's coming from. This is a uh, uh, background for his previous this is languages. A, a woman, by the way. This is oh, from Gina Trapani. Gina Trapani. Yeah, I know her. She was uh, on Twit a lot. I miss. I yeah. Anyway, um, okay. Anyway, uh, the sheer number of tools and plugins and packages and dependencies, and editor setup and build configurations required to do it quote the right way. <clears throat> Is enough to stall you before you even get started. I feel like she wrote this article just for me. <laughs> Gina. Hi. Um, and then she well, has a screenshot of so, all of these dependencies. Auto prefixer, Babelcore, Babelo. I mean, it's like basically everything that we listed uh, in, the, in, in that boilerplate. Yeah, Do not let this cool. stop you. I had, a, I, had a, I had to let go of doing it the right way from the get-go. What do you say about that, Christian? I'd say uh, if you're doing this for a personal project, okay. If you're doing this for a company or uh, uh, even a small team, that's kind of unfair to everyone else. Who, but uh, can't you over-engineer your solution and then get too caught up in using the latest tools and not oh, actually absolutely. get it done? I think, I think it, it, uh, specifically with JavaScript, there's a balance. Uh, with other languages, uh, you either there's a, um, uh, with Python, they call it a Zen. Uh, with Ruby, there's just, no, uh, you do it this way, and there's no other way to do it. Otherwise, you're just gonna have a headache at the end of the day. Go. It's just. It's really there is only one way, and it's to, uh, you don't even really notice it. And then there's uh, languages like C, where it's like you're doing everything yourself anyway. <laughs> well, and also like uh, like you know, PHP. That's uh, that hasn't. I mean, you know, you can still a lot of PHP four code still works. It'll just give you warnings forever but it still works and you could and that's i don't know if, well, uh, if i guess javascript using... is another cross-generational language anyway um all right but I, i'm I still like what, what i've been asking though is what was where was uh this woman coming from originally that uh this is a new world to her i don't know i think that i can i think i can make a huge difference <laughs> i took that the wrong way um I, I yeah i don't get the joke there anyway uh no the thing is i i i I, I, I feel I feel her pain. Like I said, because of the fact that there are so many things. Like I you know, the, the LAMP is four things. I have a PHP framework that's five things. Use jQuery that's six things. Okay, you killed me. Six things. Not 25 libraries that all have to rely on separate people to update them on time to keep up with the changes from the major library. Well, okay, so because these breaking changes are going to are going to trickle down into these libraries that were written by people that want to go to sleep because they're crashing from Adderall and uh, you know that's not getting updated on time and you end up with issues like this. And I totally libraries. Sorry, HP has third party libraries. Yeah, we don't really need too many of them. The, mo- the most no. esoteric fact, part, the most, most esoteric PHP thing I used was to read bar co- barcodes once. And, that's, uh, that's interesting, actually. Yes. Yeah. Um, but um, I, yeah. Anyway, I'd say most backend languages you just bring in a very few dependencies. Like uh, Go, I usually only bring in like uh, config uh, parsers when I don't want to deal with parsing YAML myself or something like that. Or I bring in uh, the Docker client because I don't want to change my uh, code interfacing with the API every release 
And uh, with Python, it's similar. Right? It's really just config parsers or uh, certain like um, uh, what's the right word for this? Um, encodings for messages, so like message pack versus flat buffer versus protocol buffer, things like that. And that's really all I really bring in for third party on backend languages. But JavaScript, it is like this whole like you know you even got leftpad and all those right. fun things. That perfectly underscores my argument. Yeah, I think it kind of stems from. At some point, it became JavaScript's way of doing things was just don't do it yourself. And that's where you got this. Or maybe it was do it yourself. I don't know. I don't know. But it's, it's well, definitely no, it's, a it's, different, you, you, it's you a different libraries, feeling. Use these libraries until you get sick of them and then create uh, the 40-second version of the same thing. Right, fact, then don't, then great, don't update it after... The, on that. Then don't update it after the, the library that you're writing it for has a major update that will make yours that will break yours well that happens yeah. in anyway, many I languages pain in the, anyway i don't know I, I, just the sheer number of things that you need to get how can we fix this how do you fix this uh javascript has to congeal i think i think you need to become like a thought leader in the javascript community and say no let's be like uh, other languages where it's like hey here are these things that are mundane and they don't really contribute any value to it but they're also not part of the standard library which i think that's a big part of why javascript is like this it doesn't really have a standard library i mean there's the node standard library which gives you a lot on the back end and in the, bra- node, right. in the browsers there's certain uh like apis to browser features but there's just certain things that, that there's i think that's because the front end is this uh, very complex thing in a way that changes a lot even in the browser itself it doesn't help that uh, back in the day, browsers didn't agree whatsoever with uh, how JavaScript should be uh, uh, implemented. And uh, so you got differences in there. And, and there was yeah. all that ActiveX stuff 15 uh, years ago. Yeah, yeah. there's that. As that. That went away finally. Yep. This site wants to install an ActiveX controller on your computer. Yes? <laughs> install this random software that you <laughs> don't even know. Yeah, that's how my dad ended up with 20 toolbars and... Ten screensavers <laughs> and five viruses and two. Oh, I, I remember the days when installing mm-hmm. toolbars was a thing, and it'd be like, uh, "Oh, you, you it need... still is with some oh, people." I know, but like you'd know you got a virus when a toolbar was installed without asking you. Yeah, or it's an or it's an Adobe update. <laughs> oh, so. well, that's that that one's still out there. Where all of a sudden, like uh, uh, on certain sites that I don't use to watch television without paying for it, uh, they will. Uh, uh, I'll immediately hit play, and all of a sudden I'll end Why up with a... Why do you uh, do that and not get caught by the Time Warner police? And I get caught by the Cablevision cops when I don't do anything wrong. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, Tor? <laughs> Is it fast enough to stream video? Uh, I just get... get uh, so I go to uh, the, the initial website for Tor, and then I just uh, inspect Element, get the video, and then throw the video itself into Chrome. Why don't you make that a allegedly? Well, that's enabling that? people. You don't want to do that. And anyhow, um, where were we going with this? Oh, where did that come from? <laughs> where, where were we going with this? Uh, um, I don't know because there's no real solution. I mean, uh, tutorial throw it throw it away. Uh, tutorial project throw it away. Repeat. You're basically perpetually learning new stuff. I mean, I guess that's part of the problem, or not part of the problem, sorry, not part of the job of being an engineer, just constantly relearning stuff. Well, yes, the there's newest. that, and I, I do is feel this is... Is this really a... engineering? 
I'd say so. And it's becoming more and more the only engineering. Mechanical engineering is becoming a thing computers do. Well, here's, here's where she, how she ends it. First, do it, then do it right, then do it better. I, I would uh, agree with that. I, I get what, what you're saying. Uh, I think there's, uh, if you're learning how to do JavaScript, just do it. Or if and you're then, learning, if you're trying to grasp new libraries, like an ancient web developer like me. Well, I, wouldn't I didn't ancient. like jQuery in 2008. I wouldn't call you ancient. I'm, you know, it's kind of like you're... Uh... I had an Angel Fire website. Okay, maybe you're ancient. Lighthouse. Um. <laughs> Guest book. Marquee. Ancient hot, hot web mail. developer. <laughs> Hotmail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And oh, wow, it's late. Um, yeah, we gotta go. Yeah, uh, we got a. We've got, we've done another double album. I need to get some. I need to get some better sound effects. I think next week we will bring in a studio audience, and uh, it'll be much better, much livelier show. Maybe. All right. Hopefully, I don't know. Maybe if Digital Ocean says, "Hey, why don't you?" Uh, I wrote. Oh, here's 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 a nice story to end with. I wrote the uh, t- uh, developers of uh, Adam. And uh, I asked them if they wanted to do the show. Interesting. They All of a, the developers? They sent back a bunch of emoji laughing at me. <laughs> really? Yeah, just like when I applied to MIT. And on that, and unfortunately on that bombshell, it's time to end. So, Christian, do you approve this pull request? Looks good to me. Tyler? I do. Well, then let's all hit merge. And we'll see you all next week right here on Pull Request. This has been a Pneumonium production. The views and opinions expressed on Pull Request do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium LLC or its subsidiaries.